This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 88 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host Mike Parkin and joining me as usual is Richard Hawes. Hello everybody. Yes indeed, episode 88 is taking a distinctive eastern flavour this week as we're going all things Malaysian. So our main three uh, reviews this week are going to be Kampung Drift, J. Revolusi and Pascal. And you can find all three of these films either on Amazon Prime or Netflix. We'll tell you which ones later on. Also this week we've got our DTV throwback, which is Evolver, a film I'd never even heard of before today. But there you go. What? I know. Yeah, I had heard of that one. Um, and our short shot is a little film called Zero, which is part of the Dust um, collective. But before we get into all of that, and the washing up of course, and the coming soon, it's over to Rich with the DTV chart. Yes, that's right. It's the DTV chart uh, where we strip out from strip out the uh, DTV releases from the official UK Top 100. Uh, this is the chart that was published on the 4th of August. Uh, and we've got seven DTV titles in the chart this week. So we're going to kick right off with number seven. Uh, or actually, uh, yes, number seven, which is Arctic. How do you spell that? Oh, is this the Mads Mikkelsen one? It is indeed. The, um, the one where he's alone, but actually yeah. he's not all, he's not alone for the whole film because there's another mm. character. Right, okay. Yeah, no, This, uh, as I said last week, this isn't the sort of film that really interests me. I mean, it looks great from the trailer in terms of you know production values and all mm. the rest of it. And Mads Mikkelsen's great. Um, but these sort of films about you know one guy against the elements and things um, just doesn't really grab me personally. Uh, number six, it's a film originally called uh, Allegiance of Powers, I believe. It's been quite savvily marketed over here, uh, uh, along with in the uh, the wake of uh, the latest X-Men film, as Mutants, with a rather striking cover. Yeah, the cover looks great. You know, hopefully yeah. the, the reviews movie. are very bad. Really, <laughs> from what I've looked, looked at the uh, the comments on the uh, on the Amazon page for it, they're all saying it's quite a quite a cheap movie, and you know, not very not very good and. You know, I, you know, we've seen that kind of thing before. You know, where the cover is made to look oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. quite impressive. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I haven't seen any footage of it, so I can't judge it at all. But uh, yeah, I do love that cover. <laughs> uh, number five, uh, still doing very well. Uh, the angel has fallen, but the guard of Auschwitz is still here. <laughs> you had me thinking of Gerard Butler for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so this is the guard of Auschwitz that's yes. still in the charts. There, whereas the angel of Auschwitz has bounced out. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is funny because they're both from the same director, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, you know one had a very prominent Nazi on the cover, and the other one didn't. Maybe that's I why. Guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number four is one of last week's new entries. It came in at number two last week, and it's uh, number four this week. It's Master Z Ip Man Legacy. I have this on Blu-ray. Uh, it turned up in the post last week, and to my shame, it is still in its cellophane wrapper. I just haven't had a chance to watch it. Maybe as part of my binge tomorrow, I'll finally unwrap it. But I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Michelle Yeoh and Dave Bautista strut their stuff. And Max Zhang. In Max the, Zhang, uh, of course. Yeah. 
Uh, number three, a film that's been around for quite some time now. We were talking to Gerard Butler a minute ago. It's uh, The Vanishing. I've finally seen this. <laughs> finally seen this. And there's, there's three quarters of a good film here. Um, from a sort of genre point of view, at least. Um, but I think it's sort of like it peaks way too early. There's stuff that happens in the middle of the film which would have been better off towards the end of the film. Um, instead, what we get towards the end is just this sort of navel-gazing introspection and and the weight of guilt amongst them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's greatly shot, you know. It's I mean there are scenes with there's long stretches with no dialogue at all. You know, it's just the scenery and them sort of doing their sort of lighthouse stuff. And it's great, but there's this brilliant, um, really, really tense conversation that happens at the midpoint, and it sort of leads on to other things. But um, yeah, no, I, I for the most part enjoyed it. Um, it is um, it like a two-hander? Well, or is there a bigger cast? No, it's a bigger cast. There's three lighthousemen: mm-hmm. uh, Jared Butler, um, the old guy, I can't remember his name now. And is it Peter Mullen? Peter Mullen, yeah, and uh, and they bring on a, a sort of young guy as well. Um, and then, so at the midpoint, um, sort of stuff happens basically, and more people get involved for a little while, and then um, it, it sort of goes back down to three and whittles down even further. Mm. Oh, is that so, one? Is that like a based on true events? I don't think so. No. Uh, no, just... but I mean, you know, I think the place is real. You know, they, they, they mentioned stuff at the beginning about, you know, how how remote it is and things like that. Mm. But, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Right, moving on to number two, new entry. Uh, it's the only new entry in the in the top five this week. It's new film out from Signature Entertainment. It's Charlie Says. Now this oh, is a. Charles Manson ones. It is uh, the. It's from director Mary Harron, or I think it's written and directed by her. Uh, she yeah. did most famously American Psycho. Yeah, yeah. But the the interesting thing is the original posters all. It, it, all focus on it's focusing on some young fe- uh, female characters who were members of the Madison family, I presume. And uh, Matt Smith plays Charles Manson, and he's kind of in the background there. Uh, but for the UK release, because of Doctor Who and everything, he's mm. much much uh, more well known over here. He's like his big old face is like right on the on the cover, and his name uh, is is slapped across the top like he's the main star which is if you mm. if you watch it if you look at any of the other posters it's kind of like he's in there as a sort of a supporting presence if, if anything so that's quite uh, be quite interesting to see how how much he's actually in it are but you, it does seem that the female characters who are dropped i think from the uk cover entirely <laughs> um in favor of him uh, it's, it's sort of uh, it's an interesting it's you know understandable what they've done and obviously it's been released Cash it timed to cash in on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, although it's more of a Tarantino movie than a Manson movie, is a film that's sort of raising the profile uh, because of uh, you know the Manson murders because of uh, the presence of like Sharon Tate and that in it. Yeah, are, are you planning on watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I am. Yeah, I, I do yeah. think uh, I'm very intrigued to check it out. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm about to go on holiday, but I'm hoping to check it out when I come back. Um, yeah, I, I like the look of it. You know, I've got misgivings about certain characters and things and the way they've been portrayed. But um, well, that Shannon yeah. Lee has been saying about her, the portrayal of her dad. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, 
Which uh, brought to mind, uh, I know we're going off on lots of tangents here, mm -hmm. but the um, Birth of the Dragon yes. film. Yes. And I was thinking they pretty much did exactly the same thing in that, didn't they? Yes, they did. Um, yeah. They sort of portrayed him as being... Overly, Cocky. Yeah, to, to, you know, I mean, he was... You know, he's very self-confident and all the rest of it, and but it's like arrogant. Showman, but yeah, exactly. I think I think the, um, yeah, pushing a bit too far. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll well, I won't reserve judgment. I've judged, but um, I still want to see it for for just about everything else that happens. So, where do you stand with Man? I mean, this isn't the only Manson hmm. film we're going to discuss this week. So, where do you sort of stand with? Manson-related films. I think there was Wolves at the Door was out like last year. That was another one. I think that was a cinema. Another one. There is this one which had its name changed. It was originally called Massacre on Cielo. We're going to get to that one in the yeah. washing up. Yeah. Oh, right. And there was another one called the I think the Haunting of Sharon Tate or something like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's quite a few. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's a fad, isn't it? So. Yeah. But. You know, to a certain degree, an area of history you're interested in. Mm, a little bit, yeah. I must admit, when I when I originally heard about the Sharon Tate murder and things like that, it, it, it was quite shocking, you know. Um, and, and you know, it was sort of like you know, it was the end of the '60s, wasn't it? It was like 1969. It's like you know, people people saw that event as as the sort of death of the '60s, yeah. the sort of counter revolution, and the start of the more cynical. Um, sort of cycle of sort of politics and things that sort of, and, and and entertainment, which sort of came in during the seventies. So yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, mark in history. So moving on to number one, uh, this uh, this was number one last week as well uh, when it when it first came out. It's a different kettle of fish entirely to anything we usually discuss. It's a cricket documentary called The Edge. Oh yeah. So so is is this to do with South African cricket or British cricket or what? Uh, British, I believe. I don't really know a huge amount about it. It's uh, it's the it's uh, from a distributor like called Noah uh, Media Group, I think. And uh, this is the first film I've come across from them. Although I think they might have done one or two others, but it's been it was put in cinemas, but it was like at the same time as the DVD came out. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of had had a bit of exposure. But it's mainly uh, it's mainly just been out on, on DVD. So and uh, great reviews from uh, you know the sports community about it. But it's not it's not anything I'm interested. I don't, I'm not I'm, interested in crickets. Yeah, I, I kind of remember the period it's talking about. You know, um, uh, and the, the way they sort of did. You know, I mean, England are you know well typically English team basically. You know, they followed the footsteps of just like every other. English sort of sporting endeavour, you know, they sort of end up being sort. Of, they they should be the best of what they can do, but at the end they're sort of the plucky underdogs, at, at best, you know. Um, and the England squad have been pretty much like that up until this particular sort of period where they actually sort of won, the, you know, the, the Ashes and the World Cup and things. So yeah, but um, yeah, cricket doesn't really appeal to me either, unfortunately. Any game that takes three days to play is no. <laughs> uh, just before we close off, uh, sort of honourable mention, really, there's a, a film called The Haunting of Reading Hospital. Uh, it's not featured in our main chart because it's a re-release. It's a retitled re-release, and right. our chart only includes 
films that are newly released uh, in this year. So this one came out. Oh, uh, let's have a look. When did it come out? It's like it's been about four weeks now. Uh, it's doing quite well for itself. It was. It's just sort of hanging in on the main chart on the uh, the 99th position. So, so what had it been a new release, it was originally called House of Dust. Uh, and it is available on Amazon Prime if anyone's curious about uh, watching it and uh, doesn't want to pay the the new fee. <laughs> you, pro- you could probably you could probably get it for three pound fifty, or you can get it for the original. So uh, it's spelled R E D D E N. So R E D D E N. Yeah, it's one I was. I'm I'm thinking of us maybe looking at it in the throwback section in a week, in a week or two, maybe. But so that's been. IMDb is treating it like it's a new film, and they've never heard of it. Um, what was it originally called? House of Dust. Uh, House of Dust. Yeah, if you look up House of Dust, um, you'll see it. The, the covers are quite different. It was originally yeah, out on very different. Safe Cracker, I think, and then it was, uh, it's been brought out by Oh God, uh, Miracle Media or someone. I can't. I can't. Entire, I can't exactly remember off the top of my head who's 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 bought it for release, basically. But yeah, so that's been around for about four weeks. So I just wanted to mention that. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds quite quite interesting, that one. And that's the chart for this week. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got seven trailers to take a peek at, um, and we're going to start off with The Irishman. Um, I, now, Rich, I must, I must confess, I didn't check this out um, from the link you gave me, so I'm assuming this is the Martin Scorsese one. It is. Thank God for that, because <laughs> I checked this out the other day. Um, so yeah, this, this is Martin Scorsese's la- latest film, uh, reteaming uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and um, Al Pacino, and it centres around the story of um, Jimmy Hoffa, uh, the the union boss, and, and his rise within the ranks of the mob. Um, not a lot to see at the moment, Rich. I don't think really. Uh, the well, I thought the trailer was sort of pretty self-explanatory of the of the kind of typical gangster movie that it that it is. Yeah. But the um, I, I, my feelings were that it that it was kind of very familiar-looking gangster movie. Like looked a lot like what you would expect from a Martin Scorsese gangster it's, movie. It's Goodfellas too, basically. Isn't it? Yeah, it's quite a lot like <laughs> Goodfellas and that, and but. That's you know that that's no bad thing. Uh, so so I, I think you know it looks has all the hallmarks of the quality. Robert De Niro actually looks like he's giving a a performance that he cares about, you know, for a change, mm-hmm. uh, rather than just sort of sleepwalking through something. Uh, Joe Pesci's back from retirement, or you yeah. know, or semi-retirement, or wherever he's been, <laughs> which is great. Um, seems to have a meaty, quite a meaty role in it. Uh, Al Pacino's in there. I'm not sure if this is the first time Pacino's worked with Scorsese or not. Um, obviously, the obviously uh, De Niro and Pacino have, have have worked together on two films before, is it? You know, yeah. they did Pete and Righteous Kill, yeah. Uh, and yeah. obviously, this is uh, De Niro and Pesci's third film mm-hmm. with um, with Scorsese. So it's a good mix, good cast. Uh, I'm sure the support will be excellent as well. Hmm. I say it, it's fairly it, it's it's standard kind of gangster fare, but I'm really looking forward to it, and I think you know. It's a Netflix movie. This has been made for Netflix specifically, yeah, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they kind of bankrolled it, uh, so it's not a, a Scorsese movie that's skipping cinemas because you know the, the studio's not got the faith in it or anything like that. 
but that said, studios will be chomping at the bit for for a Scorsese film. Let's face it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can, you know, think Netflix is kind of in a way the new HBO, where they sort of cat they bankroll perhaps you know standard fare, but also slightly edgier fare than you might get in Mm. cinemas. You know, the, the kind of movies that they can attract fairly big name talent as as stars and directors but they wouldn't be quite theatrical material almost DTV kind of stuff. But this is very, very cinematic. If it was, if it was a studio cinema release, it would do really, really well, I think. So I'm sure this is going to really help the subscriber numbers. Sure. Um, okay. So the next on the list is the mystery of dragon seal journey to China. Now this is, um, this is a film that's sort of been, there's been a lot of rumors about this film for a while. And, and, and I believe this is the second time we've actually featured it in the coming soon section. I think it might be, yeah. Because so, uh, do you remember the original title of it? Uh, I don't actually. Uh, v two. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was origi- I think the original film was released over here as uh, Forbidden Empire or Forbidden Kingdom or something. Yes, and know, it had, oblique like that. Had a British or, or an American star in the. It's British. Uh, yeah. He's. Uh, it's uh, Jason Fleming. Right, so Jason Fleming, yes. And yes. I've, I've seen it or some of it, I think. So he's English and he's playing an English character, but it's in a Russian movie where he's dubbed in Russian. So this is a this is the sequel where they've got loads of Chinese funding in it as well. So it's a it's a Russian Chinese co-production, which is quite interesting. Uh, I think it's all uh, you know principally going to be. Uh, dubbed into Russian, so it'll be, be curious to see what the UK release ends up being, whether they do a unique dub or something on it, but it's almost certainly not going to be Jason Fleming's voice, nor indeed uh, a certain Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, and, yeah, uh, he's dubbed in the trailer as well. So. Yeah, and uh, Jackie Chan. So it's this trailer is particularly interesting because they're mm-hmm. selling it as a Jackie Chan movie. Uh, this is like the Chinese trailer, I think. Yeah, so, so we're, we're getting into specifics now as to why this is this is in our list <laughs> and what has piqued our interest you know um is is this thing of, you know you've got jackie chan playing um an older character but in the trailer at least he has a duel of all things with no less than arnold schwarzenegger i mean who is not going to pay to see that you know and i think that's exactly the approach they're taking because yeah. as far as i'm aware this this is just like a little cameo thing between it, the two I, of them and, they, and they're trying to sell yeah. the whole movie on it yeah it's, it's kind of like when donnie yen and um uh, jackie chan ended up in the twins effects too which was a horrible movie but it did have one interesting fight scene between the two characters which ended in a draw believe it or not but now, what um, was the what was the last film that arnie and jackie did together do you remember uh no was it he wasn't in the last section here right no. It was Around the World in 80 Days. Hang on. Was Arnie in that? Arnie was in that. Shit. Arnie had a cameo. Bloody hell. <laughs> uh, I, I actually went to the cinema to see that. I yeah, so did I. I. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't think many people did, but I, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah. I think Sam O'Hung did the action and stuff. Didn't he that? did, and and he was in it. He played he played Jackie's brother. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, I can remember Sam O'Hung being in it. I can't remember Arnie being in it. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, moving on. Uh, our next film is Lucky Day, 
Um, this is the latest film from... Oh, his name's just Roger called. Avery. Thank you very much. Roger Avery from Kinning Zoe and producer of things like um, uh, True Romance and... Uh, what's, the, what's the other one he did? Um, it was based on a Brett Easton Ellis book. Oh, uh, Rules of... Rules of Attraction? No. Um, ah, it's going to kill me now. And James Vanderbeek in it. Pause the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was... No, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Though. No, it is Rules of Attraction. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not that one, Rich. The other one, the rules of attraction. Oh, there we go, rules of attraction. Yes, uh, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Anyway, um, getting back on track. So yes, so we've got a guy just getting out of prison and gets involved in another bank heist. This looks pretty sharp. It's also got um, uh, the girl from Vampire Diaries in it. Is that Nina Dobrev? N- yeah, Nina Dobrev. Um, I- Playing a Russian, I believe, or French person. But yeah. Who, who's the most important person in this film? I who's the scene stealer? You've lost me. Come on, it's Crispin Glover. What? Crispin Glover is Crispin Glover is the bad guy. Oh right, I didn't even notice. You didn't notice didn't. the sort of, you know, sort of. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he's exactly the same as he was in basically in the uh, in Charlie's Angels, essentially. Sort of. Got but this... he looks so different. He, 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 yeah. he looks like a melted version of um, uh, um, two, was it? Did he play Two Face? Um, oh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. No. In, no. In, in the, oh. other, the other two. Films. <laughs> uh, Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. <laughs> He reminds me a bit of like of Aaron Eckhart and um, the guy from uh, War on Everyone, but yeah, I, I didn't recognise him at all. There's Crispin Gl- yeah. Crispin Glover he's running around. He's like firing the shot, sh- you know, shotgun and, uh, yeah, and no, machine gun and everything. Him. I, I I knew he looked familiar, but I, I didn't realise it was him. Wow, yeah, Crispin. Yeah, so Glover, I'm quite so I I I'd, I'd like Crispin Glover, so I'm looking forward to seeing it for him really, uh, as yeah. much as anything. So the um. Yeah, I think it looks like it's uh, quite a solid, you know, it's typical kind of uh, Roger Avery kind of, you know, Quentin Tarantino-ish kind of stories uh, of um, criminals and that. So, yeah, I'm quite up for that. I'm definitely up for that, yeah. Did you ever see the Mark Lacascos one that he wrote? I don't don't think he directed it. Boogie Boy. No. No, you never saw Boogie Boy. Was that that around the time of... um, um, like mid to late nineties, only, only the strong things like that. Well, it wasn't a martial arts one, that's for oh. sure. It was it was definitely more of a drama. Nineteen ninety eight, uh, and he, he had like loads of people in it, like Tracy Lords and stuff. Hang on, let me have a quick look at the poster. Who's in it? The really good cast. You might want to check it out at some point. The uh, Mark's cast, cast Emily Lloyd was in there. Joan oh. Jett. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. It's, James uh, James Wolvers and a few people who aren't really around much anymore, but very you know proper like nineties movie. But I think he's uh, I'm not sure what Avery's involvement was because I don't think he actually wrote it, but might um, be produced or something. I uh, know. Oh, sorry, I'm going off a, on a complete mm-hmm. tangent here. Uh, he produced it, looks like. All right. Um, but it was it was massive. I remember it mainly because it was massively sold on his name, as you would kind of expect. But this one, I'm getting back to this, was um, produced by Samuel Hedida. 
who also produced uh, True Romance and stuff as well. Uh, uh, and I believe he died recently. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the way you said that is... It's like you're on to a Good Morning Britain or something. Oh, and, and apparently he died recently. He <laughs> died. <laughs> yeah, sorry, he died last year in, in November last year. So this was like probably like the last, uh, probably one of the last films he produced. So yeah. Anyway, that's good. <laughs> apparently um, he died. <laughs> he wasn't having such a lucky day. <laughs> Yeah, just one of some really horrible, pithy one-liner just to finish it off, you know. Yeah. Um, moving on um, to our next segment. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> moving on to a film called Hoax. Um, so this is the latest in a long string of um, Bigfoot movies. But wait, this is actually a good one. And I know this because I watched it this afternoon. I've been sent a screener from Epic Pictures. Um and I really enjoyed it. So for once, this is not a found footage movie, guys. Um, although it does sort of use a bit of sort of found footage in the film because it's like uh, about a production team filming an episode of trying to capture Bigfoot in the wake of um, six campers um, disappearing in the mountains. Um, among them is uh, Ben Browder as the um, the ruthless uh, TV producer who's on his last legs and is desperate for a hit. Um, and also, um, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name now. Well, the only one I care about is Brian Thompson. Exactly, that's the guy I was talking about. Brian Thompson, um, who's been in loads of things, but you know, you may remember him as one of the street punks from the beginning of the Terminator. Uh, way back when, but he's, he's he did a he's, film called Hired to Kill, which was like an action film. Oh, that's uh, a great one. That's one with, with Oliver with, Reed. Uh, isn't Oliver it? Reed, yeah, Nico yeah. Masterakis. I, I got a chance to see that on the big screen uh, a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, that's great fun if you get a chance to see it. It's also um, a bit unnerving because it's kind of got a love scene that's basically a rape scene, which is a bit weird. Something like that, yeah. And it's also yeah. got an on-screen <laughs> kiss between him and and Oliver Reed, really <laughs> because because he has to play. He, he's pretending to be gay. As his cover, uh, and Oliver Reed challenges him, you know, just sort of challenges his um, his cover, shall we say? Seriously, so you know, <laughs> make out or put out, I suppose. Um, but but it's yeah, nice to see him back. I haven't seen him exactly. in anything for quite some time. Um, he's in this, and the the director, I can't remember his name uh, offhand, but he's he's definitely a fan of horror movies and things. Um, he's got Adrian Barbeau um, in a in a brief cameo at the beginning uh, and then shortly after that you, you get two characters um, talking about the fog but in a, in a really cool way because they don't actually mention it they're just talking about a, a dialogue scene from it you know oh. so, so it, was, it, was, it was quite cool and then um, the, the they're using this sort of tracking device this sort of motion sensor thing and it is straight out of it, it's a prop from aliens basically you know the motion oh. sensor it's in the room man oh it's, yeah that's in know, the trailer yeah yeah um sort of things like that um yeah it's really good the, the, the only thing is uh, just a sort of word of warning um it lurches the last 15 minutes it lurches from a sort of creature feature into a completely different genre and it gets a bit grisly, um, for, for sure. Um, it, it's, well, it's a horror movie, so it's, it's exactly it's a horror movie. But it it goes from like being a creature feature sort of horror movie, where your cast has been sort of whittled down a bit, and then it goes into I won't say which kind of genre, but it definitely changes genres, sort of horror genres, um, at a certain point and lurches its way into this sort of other thing. 
Mm, um, which, which you might not be expecting, you know, sort of leading up to it. Okay. Well, I am now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but uh, then, no, I, I so really on the good. back of you saying that all this, so the funny thing was when when uh, I was putting the trailers together and I was contacting you about, about it, mm. uh, and you said, "Oh, I haven't seen the list," and I was like, "Because oh, I was like, oh, it's actually on the list," mm. uh, and I was thinking, "Hoax is actually the one I drop <laughs> because right. the um, when I watched the trailer, I wasn't." sold at all i was not i wasn't i wasn't interested in it to be honest apart from brian thompson being in it, in it that was the only thing i was kind of wanting to talk about uh was and sort of it just looked really kind of standard and I'm, i wasn't really that fussed and so it's quite it's actually really interesting to hear you yeah. you know uh, saying that it's actually uh, you know i, I really so it, it's very slick you know it, it's 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 very well polished it's a good example of its of its sort of genre shall we say um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So there you go. <laughs> okay, let's move on uh, now. Rich, this wouldn't be a DTV Digest episode if we weren't talking about a new Don Travolta movie or a new Nicolas Cage movie. But we'll get to that yeah, later. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> the two, the two seem to be competing with each other as to who can produce the most films in a year. Um, but here comes Mr. John Travolta now. Say what you will about John Travolta, um, but he he tries fucking hard, and you can never say he's phones it in. He's always develop you know delivering a completely different um, persona you know in his in his things. I'd put him up there with um, Antonio Banderas. Last year, Antonio Banderas put out four films or had four films released within you know as as many months, mm. and in every film he was showing a completely different facet of his, you know, a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think John Travolta can do that. In this one, this is, um, I suppose it's a remake of The Fan, which was a well, remake I think it's, of The Fan. Yeah, I think um, it's essentially a knockoff of it. Uh, yeah, than... Exactly. So, so it is. It, it follows, uh, I suppose it's not as... Yeah, it doesn't follow it sort of religiously, but it is that sort of setup where he's Same like the, the the number one fan of, of a particular action star and sort of tracked him down and wants his, sign- his autograph um, and then gets a bit sort of uppity when he doesn't get it and takes things to extremes, shall we say. Yeah, it was, so it's hard not to think of the Robert De Niro, Wesley Snipes film, The Fan, when you watch the trailer. It, yeah. it does basically you, the same you know film with almost exactly the same title. But that was a remake as well. Do you know who who The Fan was in the original? I don't know. I don't know the original. Please yeah. uh, fill Michael me in. Bean. Michael, Michael Bean. Yeah, Michael Bean. Uh-huh. And what was the original called? It was called The Fan. Oh, right. From yeah. So what, from like the early 80s or something? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, a, it was a female actress or singer, I think. Okay. Who was the victim? Uh-huh. But, yeah. So this um, one is kind of like, for me, I was watching it thinking this is like that Robert De Niro film, but crossed with misery hmm. to yeah, a certain extent, yeah. and also but using the the Hollywood sort of yeah. theme uh, a lot more. This would mean previously it's been about baseball and stuff, and this one is uh, about stalking a, a Hollywood actor. Funnily enough. Uh, the guy he's stalking is Devin Sauer, who we were talking about when we when we reviewed the John Travolta film Life on the Line. Oh, so, right. yeah. so it's quite interesting. I mean, and Sauer was also in. And we'll probably get to it in a, in, a, in an episode or two's time in, in Escape Plan Three. 
right. he's still in that. So his profile sort of seems to be rising uh, in these in these kind of movies, uh, which is quite interesting because um, Sauer was you know a teen star. He was in like the Final Destination movies, and he's really filled out now, and he's got kind of a a weathered pretty, face. Yeah, he's pretty buff, and yeah, as you say, he, he looks like an action star, doesn't he? Yeah, it'd be he interesting looks, to see if he like eventually he does like come the, into a leading role. Yeah. He looks like he should be on like the third instalment of his own DTV action series. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in like the Marine or something, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But, but uh, yeah, so um, Travolta. So what we got to say about this? So Travolta's got the craziest hair oh, in this, God, that, like, like a, the worst bowl cut ever, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and a beard and stuff. So he's, you'd almost say he's to a certain almost. You know, I mean, you can recognise him, but it's kind of one of those things where you say he's almost unrecognisable because he, he just. He's, he's gone for, he's gone to town with the hair and the glasses and the, the facial uh, yeah. sorry you know the wig and everything so he's thrown himself into it so uh, I'm, I'm you know fair dues and uh, looking forward to it yeah absolutely yeah. oh the other interesting thing do you know who directed it no Fred Durst really what, as yeah. of uh, as of Limp Biscuit, Limp Biscuit. Yeah. yeah yeah so this is only the second feature I think that he's directed he did a he did like an ice cube family comedy or something about yeah. 10 years ago called the long shots i think and uh, this is like his second foray he's always he's always directed music videos and stuff i think so he's, yeah. he's always been quite creative in that that way so that's I that was that's unexpected another yeah, that's, a, that, <laughs> yeah. that's another sort of, sort of wrinkle to to it interesting yeah. cool so uh so we've talked about <laughs> you know john travolta sort of throwing himself into the pawns you don't always recognize it's him but you cannot say the same generally with some of the output from Nicolas Cage. Mr. Cage. Because he always is just sort of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> did, did, by the way, did, I, did you see that photo I, I took? Um, I was walking around Beeston um, recently, which is a, a suburb of Nottingham. Uh, right. my, son was, my son was in a, his, his explorer's class, and I was sort of just killing time. Oh. And I walked past the shops, and I just happened to look up at the window, and I saw... A cardboard cutout, sort of looking out the window. I thought, what was that? And I got closer, and there's a cardboard cutout of Nicolas Cage. It was above this barber's shop, sort of looking out. I'll have to sort of post the pictures, but um, yeah, it's weird. You know the other place you haven't hunted down yet and posted oh, a picture of? Well, that was, in, that was in Bristol. In Bristol, yeah. Oh, in Bristol. I didn't get to, get to find that. <laughs> but, but it looks like there's uh, Cage fanatics in, in, uh, in Nottingham as well. So we got uh, two. We got two Nicholas Cage yeah, films. To look at okay. both trailers dropped the same week. Yeah. So which one are we starting with? Well, let's start with a score to settle. Um, so in this one, Nicholas Cage plays a guy just out of prison, and guess what? He's got a score to settle, and he's doing it rather violently as well, which I like. Um, so I, from the impression that he, it looks like he's been banged up for something he didn't do. Um, and now he's he's out 19 years later, and he's going to sort of make make people pay, basically. Um, yeah, there's a great little scene in a chop shop where some guy's sort of saying, "I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry," and he's, he's hearing none of it, um, which is good to see. Uh, nice bit of sort of you know sort of gory violence to sort of get things going. Um, yeah, I, I really like the look of this. So standard revenge movie fare. Um, yep. I only hope that it's not a misleading one, like you know when he did uh, oh, yeah. the Vengeance film, which he was which he was barely in, and um, there was also the two one one. Uh, no, the uh, the other one that was looking like it was a Tokarev. 
Oh, which, yeah. uh, which actually is a kind of a proper revenge movie with him uh, in. That's probably the closest thing, I think. That was quite interesting, actually, because that's a couple of... Is that twists. the one with, where he's the bank robber? Where he's, the, he's the guy who gets the vault open? Uh, it's the one where his daughter, I think, gets shot and he kind of goes out on the, you know, oh, he's, no, he's kind of mended his ways. He's a gangster who's kind right. of mended his ways and he, he gets, he goes back into it and stuff. So the, yeah, so I kind of like the, what I didn't like about this trailer was I thought it was the clumsiest trailer I've seen in a long time. Yeah. The, the music just veers from like thrillery music to Ness and Dorma. <laughs> Am I right? Is that the one? Am I thinking of the right trailer? Or was it the other one? No, that would right, yeah. yeah, and it was just it was just really haphazard. It was like an incomplete hmm. trailer. So I'm not sure if it was an unofficially released trailer or you know, or they just didn't put the care and attention into it. I, I don't know, but it was really, really very rough around the edges. Um, needed some work, definitely. So sure, but um, no, it's Nicholas Cage. What what can we well, do, mate? We can't yeah. resist. <laughs> so what about what? What's the other one? Tell me about that, Mike. Uh, running, running with the devil. So, so you know, yeah, a bit Van Halen. <laughs> um, so the other thing about I like about Nicolas Cage as well is he isn't afraid to sort of play sort of murky characters. You know, he doesn't always have to be the good guy or anything like that. He can play both sides. And in this one, he's playing um, sort of a drug runner, a guy, well, a drug dealer, basically, isn't he? He's um, sort of putting on a sort of um, a very uh, sort of genteel outward persona, you know, um, sort of but selling drugs in this sort of suburban neighborhood, basically. Um, yeah, this looks really, really interesting. And of course, we've got Lawrence Fishburne in there as well, just to make things even more classy. Yeah. Um, um, have you seen the poster for this one? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, the poster, it's in the it's in the folder if you get a chance to, okay. to look at right, it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like he's wearing he's wearing sunglasses that have been badly photoshopped on. Oh dear. <laughs> Uh, so it's quite funny. Yeah, good cast in this. I think you've got Cole Hauser and James. Mm. Is it James Legrand or some or someone in yeah. there? Yeah, but um, spotted a couple of other Leslie Bibb yeah. and that. So yeah. I was I was kind of watching it thinking, yeah, whatever. It's kind of a a bit like two one one kind of thing, mm. where there's quite a lot of people in it. Um, you you know, it's got a decent cast. Um, fairly standard looking DTV thriller. Doesn't particularly sell me. I think I'm much more interested in Score to Settle. Than this one, Lawrence Fishburne. He's done a few DTV ones as himself, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he's always good value. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm. You know, I'd watch it definitely. I think you know we'll definitely have to get round to another Nick Cage special at some point where we run through these. As well as the yeah, um, right. as yeah, well as yeah. the one which the trailer hasn't dropped, which you reminded me of, which is uh, Primal, Primal, where he goes yeah. up against the genetically engineered animals or something or other on a cruise ship, whatever it is. Yeah, that should yeah. be quite crazy. Um, it's kind of like snakes on a plane, but yeah. wild animals on a freighter. Uh, <laughs> wild animals on a freighter. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's been in the works for about three years, I think. You know. But anyway. Yeah. Well, we should really, see it this year at some point. So hopefully, a trailer will be our coming soon. Soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that is, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, but I believe that is the end of the coming soon section for this week. Isn't it? Our short shot this week is a film called Zero, which comes from the House of Dust, 
um, who put out lots and lots of uh, sci-fi related uh, short films. In this one, a young girl, uh, after a mysterious electromagnetic pulse, renders the world's technology useless. She finds herself isolated and alone, with only a father's strict set of rules to keep her alive. Um, okay, so this is more or less a one-hander, uh, starring Bella Ramsey, who uh, people might recognise from Game of Thrones uh, for a few series, a uh, few seasons. Um, she plays this young girl, um, and after the so this pulse happens, it kills her dad because he has a um, some sort of pacemaker at his heart, and of course that stops. Um, and then she's sort of stuck with these rules, which are painted all over the house as a reminder. Um, and, and sort of, you know, and every now and again, someone will try and sort of break into the house. Um, okay, so this is about what 17 minutes long, I believe. Uh, it's about, I think, 13 minutes. 13 minutes. 15, it says on IMDb. Yeah, so, so 13 minus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote um, it down. <laughs> so it's, it's it's very well shot, very well filmed. Um, again, you know, I've said before about my um, dislike of this sort of film where it's just like one person meandering around um, or reacting to things off screen. Um, so my personal mileage wasn't great out of this, although I could, I could admire the technical st- skill of making it. However, um, I definitely give it a big kudos for that final shot, which sort of brings everything into focus. Um, I, I thought that was absolutely superb and, and really well done. Um, what about you, Rich? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I feel like I've seen this quite a few times of the, you know, child left al- left alone and it's it kind of for the brief running time. It's kind of exploring that um, the price of safety is you know she's essentially imprisoned. So therefore, is it a life just to be stuck on your own in a in a you know in the house, a fortified yeah. house, just mm. to stay alive and you know be be by herself, or do you take a risk? Do you do you speak? To, do you do you know? Do you open the door? Do you start a conversation? Do you, you know, mm. set out uh, upon the lands? Uh, and that's kind of where it uh, eventually goes. So it, it didn't really explore anything particular. I thought some of the setups in that were nice, you know, like the um, the, um, le- 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 the electromagnetic pulse is coming, so they're kind of mm. trying to get all ready. And then, you know, the impact and the result of that is that he's going to die. They kind of know that that's yeah. going to happen. Well, that's kind of, it was an interesting facet of it because... You know, it's this knowledge, this foreknowledge they have that this thing's going to happen. And they say, well, why? You know, why, why would it be so t- telegraphed so far in advance, and you know, that they can prepare for it? Um, but then that final shot just brings, as I said, it just brings it all into focus uh, as, as to what's actually happened. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I've seen films try to sort of stretch this material over sort of 80 to 90 minutes. And, and fail, you know, to, to hold anyone's interest. So, you know, it was nice to sort of see it compacted into, into just sort of, you know, 13 to 15 minutes. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think some bit, of the... Yeah, it was a French zombie movie um, a couple of years ago where a guy's trapped in an apartment. And, you know, it's exactly this sort of thing, but sort of done over sort of 80, 90 minutes. There's a Brazilian mm-hmm. one as well called The Last of Us, I think. Um, but, yeah. 
Anyway, what's uh, the um, it was, it was, now? It was short and sweet. I, I've written down now. This has been like three or four weeks, and I think since I actually watched this, um, and I've written down Stranger Things two, but I can't think of why. Do, do <laughs> did you do you recall any you know Stranger Things parallels in this? Not that, really. That I, might have been, I can't think of what it was that I had in mind because I'd just been watching Stranger Things when I was mm. watching it, and I thought, oh, that's quite similar, but I cannot remember. I suppose what it was. Because because in Stranger Things two, L is confined to the cabin. Uh, ah, for that must be what it. That must be what it is. Yeah, because yeah, because um, yeah, Hop has uh, sort of. Oh, don't, not wishing it to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> Although we're on season three, so I'm sure you must. Have. Mm-hmm. But the um, yeah, so uh, she's following those particular instructions from her father figure in that instance. So yes, uh, that's probably exactly what I was thinking of. When, when I when I wrote that down, so yeah. yeah, so it's worth a look. Now, this was the first film I've watched on Dust. I don't really know about Dust. Can you fill a, I, fill a I can't, bit? Uh, well, I must confess, this is the first one I've seen as well. Oh, okay. Even, even though um, they keep feeding into my my Facebook page, mm-hmm. and I keep going, yeah, I need to watch this, you know, um, and then forgetting about it. But I've noticed a few of these mm. short film kind of website sort of services so there's dust and i'm sure that i believe there's a horror one at least one horror one that does the same thing you're right yes so it's, i think it's quite recent as well yeah definitely need to sort of start uh, delving into those a bit more um yeah. especially so we, we we're, we're never sure of uh, oh, no pun intended never and, sure of short films to talk about well, the, i was going to say and and mm-hmm. um of course you know coming in uh september we've got the fighting spirit festival Absolutely. Which has put together a program, I think, of 18 shorts. Um, yeah, which we can't wait for, because last, yeah. last year there were some real crackers. There were, yeah, and, and there's a couple this year already I'm sort of got an eye on. Um, one being um, the sequel to Dead End, yes. which has now been directed by Brian Larkin. Yes. And also one called, what's it, A Pound for Ten Minutes or something? Or, um, or t- ten Minutes for a Pound with... Uh, J.D. Duffield, who's somebody I sort of met last year or the year before, and you know, I've been looking forward to sort of seeing some of her work for a while. So yeah, the fact that she's actually written, uh, starring in and directed this one would be pretty good. But yeah, so we've we got, got so we've got, got a sci-fi shorts mm. channel, we've got a yeah. we've got a horror shorts channel. Mm. Let's have an action shorts channel. Well, that's right. On, well, this this channel channel fight. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I'm not. I, uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. I think I might have literally only. Just come across it. Yeah, it's, it's something that's been they've been pushing for a while. I think I don't think it's actually launched yet, but they're sort of doing uh-huh. a mixture of actual sort of martial arts film, you know, or showcasing martial arts films and shorts and you know actual sort of tournaments and things as well. I see. So yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. Keep an eye yeah, on that so, one. So yeah, how, uh, you know, Google Dust and um, or go to um, uh, YouTube and look up Zero. It's definitely worth your time. Um, yeah, and that final shot, you know, it's up there with, it's up there with Planet of the Apes as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's, it's just so well done. Um, yeah, really good. And it'll wander you going, well, why would I see this? You know, throw money at it. Our first of three Malaysian films this week is Kampung Drift. In this one, a young lad called Johan is a teenager in search of the meaning of life and love among through drift racing 
his father used to be um, a, a racing driver, and he and his best friends get up to some hijinks, including a time-traveling VR unit. Um, Apparently so. <laughs> so, well, that's more than I expected to have picked up from this film. Unfortunately, this did not grip me in any way whatsoever. Um, the picture, that the cover for this, uh, this is on Amazon Prime, um, has you thinking, oh, this is going to be a Malaysian version of um, Tokyo Drift or the Fast and Furious oh, movies. Yeah. Um, but what you get is this kids movie where... Rich, just help me out here, man. <laughs> well, it is, it, is a, it is a street racing movie, yeah. but it's kind of combined with Back to the Future to a certain extent. A certain extent. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it's got, I think it's um, it's got this real oddball comedy stuff thrown in it, as well as sort of like real melodrama, which I think are probably staples of uh, some of the sort of you know films from sort of the. It's going to be a recurring uh, theme this week. Yes. Yeah, so we've got uh, the slacker dreamer hero character, who um, he kind of wants to he wants to be a street racer, hmm. and he. Pursuing his dream, he got, he follows his girlfriend. He goes to work at a track in in, um, uh, in big city. Yeah, in big city. <laughs> now, one of the things I didn't realize until I started watching this film is that they refer to the cities in Malaysia by initials. Yeah. So they so KL is Kuala Lumpur and KK is I can't remember what, but I think in I can't remember which films which, but that's just something I know. You know, it's like when we did the um, Filipino films and it was like you you notice certain recurrent trends in the way they're talking and in, in this one as well they also mix english and um malay it's interesting, as well. it's interesting you bring it up because mm. um there's a series of films i'd love to see but they've never been released anywhere near the uk or um called kl gangster and i, th I think there's two or three of them and um, you can find the trailer on youtube uh, and they look great they look like sort of 1990s um hong kong gangster movies you know, uh, with, with lots of martial arts and gunfights and things. Uh -huh. um, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to see them at some point. But yeah, KL Gangster, they're called. Yeah, so anyway, that does make sense. So I looked at, I was looking it up, and it was like, yeah, the the local way of referring to the the the, the, the capital city and stuff is is mm. in by those abbreviations. So I thought that was quite curious. So a little insight into the culture and that there. But the um, so we get the opening street racing sequence and everything, and then it's, a, it's like a bit of a dream, I think, if I can recall correctly. And then the, mm. basically the, the slacker hero and his fat friend, and you can't help but think of like Spider-Man Homecoming or something, but the... the And he's a really big guy. Uh, and they're riding about on these like homemade trikes uh, and, and drifting around on those, which is pretty funny. But he's got like a crazy uncle <laughs> who's like... Don't they turn making... him into a vampire at one point? Yeah, he's like making potions to sort of see aliens and learn alien language or something. And so there's like these sort of hallucinogenic kind of sequences and that that they throw in. And then there's one bit where his friend goes to goes to what join him. So uh, the the lead character has followed or basically essentially almost stalked his ex girlfriend by going to work where she works. Yeah. And then his he gets his job his friend to come and work there, which is like a a, a, a racing track. And the his uh, his uncle, who I believe is like his carer, he's like he's living with him. You know, he's like foster. Um, um, his parents died or something. And so he's meowing 
like a cat. <laughs> so there's there's a whole long sequence of him like doing this job interview where he keeps going by mistake, which is very very random, uh, but pretty pretty funny. Um, but uh, luckily that's not something they dwell on too much uh, for the most part. And there is lots and lots of scenes of drift racing. You know they've actually there's a, there's a lot. You know it's not that they've um, cut corners and everything. It's like really if anything there's too much because some of the yeah. scenes just go on really long there's like one whole really long scene that is it turns out is just like a oh he was imagining it in his head mm. <laughs> it's like really didn't need to be so long but you know it's kind of one of those funny things where the in like in tokyo drift you know how the the new kid goes to the new place and then oh all of a sudden there's a girl and oh all of a sudden he's uh, he's met these other people and oh you know it's like everything falls into place and in this one it's like oh all of a sudden he's met the he's met his nemesis but he's also met uh his sort of supporter who's like um the girlfriend of the nemesis who then kind of supports him and becomes his best friend and, and, <laughs> and sort of bankrolls him to get a car and, and things. It's really strange. But the it, things move really quickly. Uh, and then there's a whole drama about, um, I think, uh, so he discovers that his father was a, was a famous drift racer, but he's kind of left it behind. Hmm. And there's like, why, 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 what happened there? And all this sort of, you know, family stuff to resolve. So that all comes to the head. And so we get the big time travels thing sort of happening at the end. And then they kind of throw the racing stuff out the window and just make it purely about reconciling with his dad. And it's like proper melodrama at the end. So, um, yeah. And, and not only that, but in true Back to the Future style, he has changed history <laughs> and everything's great. <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's, he's fixed all the problems and brought, brought, you know, uh, nobody's going to watch this. So I'm just going to say it. So his mother's dead. Uh, and he goes back in time and manages to change things so that she lives. And so at the end of the movie, he takes his dad home and his wife is there getting his, getting his food ready and everything as if, as if he, as if she never left. And they have this really emotional sort of sitting over bowls of soup crying thing. And she's like, what's going on? Why are you, why are you guys so upset? <laughs> oh, spare me. So it's really, uh, very, very random. Uh, I'm glad I've seen it. Because I think it's one of the most, you know, curious films I've seen in a long time. I didn't love it, definitely. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like a particular, but I didn't hate it. Uh, film, I think filmistically, it, it's filmed very flat. You know, sort of the lighting yeah, in it is, is quite sort of drab. And, uh, that's fair. That's fair. It's not stylish. It is, I think it's probably the lowest budget of the films that we've, mm. the lowest of the budget of the Malaysian films that we've got this week. Uh, but probably one, I dare, dare I say, probably one of the more um, typically, um, you know, distinctive of the air, you know, of the of um, the country that it comes from. It's not trying to, although it sort of do, does the time travel thing. It doesn't seem like it's trying to be and like a Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, it's not trying to go for international appeal. Hmm. I think they're very much, you know, focusing on the things that they think their audience would be interested in. So. It's hard, it's hard to judge it entirely or any of these films because there aren't really many Malaysian films in the UK. Uh, when I was doing, doing some research and trying to find any, there's like one or I think there's about three that were ever released on DVD almost. And, uh, so the fact that a few of these have turned up online was, was very interesting to me. So how are you going to, we get films which are re- filmed in Malaysia, mm. but uh, yeah. Yeah, as you say. 
Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think, uh, especially Kuala Lumpur, you know, like in traffic and everything, all, all shooting there. The, what would you like to score this, Mike? Um, it has that sort of nutty flavour going for it. And, and I do kind of recommend it for anyone who just wants to go, what am I watching? You know, especially with beers with friends. Uh, so for that, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. I'm going to join you on a five out of ten. <laughs> and you liked it more than I did. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's, it's like I don't. Hmm. It's I, I'm leaning towards a six, but I think a five is more fair. I think it's it's, it's yeah. the what you say. It's like the, the flatness of the way it's been made, yeah. and sort of the generic stuff. But the the sort of really quirky stuff is what kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Sold me on it. It's like, it really quite sick. And say, so if you like street racing and stuff, I mean, if I if I recommended this to my brother, I would have to say, okay, watch the street racing, but then forward through the rest because he will not, he would not like this at all. Um, but he might like the the racing sequences. Cool. And sometimes I watch a racing film and it doesn't really have any racing in it. So uh, the drifting in this was the drifting in was good. Yeah. All right. So that's fives all round for Campum Drift. Second Malaysian offering is Jay Revolusi. In this one, Jay's. Sorry, who? Jay Zulkair in a. Jay, just call him Jay. Jay, let's, go, let's stick with that. Jay is an assault leader for Malaysia's elite and deadly special force known as the UT, UTK. And he and his squad of operatives are every terrorist's worst nightmare. That is, until he is framed for murdering his squad and his sister is kidnapped by peoples unknown. Now, Jay has to race against time, clear his name and rescue his sister. Uh, in the mix, of course, is um, a deadly virus. Um, and this is all starting to sound a bit like a Mission Impossible movie. Uh, well, actually, uh, there's... Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it, it not only sounds a bit like a Mission Impossible movie, but it's actually quite similar to another quite high-profile film that's uh, very recently been released. Uh, and I don't know if you got a chance to see it this week. Hmm. Hobbs and Shaw? Of course I did, yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> um, so we've got a deadly virus, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a hero who doesn't look unlike The Rock, uh, being being fr- uh, who's a special forces kind of guy who gets framed and is hunting for a sister. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so there's Jason Statham and The Rock thrown into you know mixed into one. Well, I was just thinking I was watching I was watching Hobbs and Shaw and I was thinking there's a lot of very similar elements. I mean that's not to say the two are related in any kind of way whatsoever. It's just kind of how generic those tropes are. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the deadly virus thing is like, come on. <laughs> it's like, how many more movies can. I mean, uh, Hobbs and Shaw takes that to like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hobbs and Shaw takes that to like the ultimate extreme. <laughs> and then there's like, you know, uh, but I'm, no, I won't go into. I'm not going to go into a Hobbs and Shaw review. But the, um, but this kind of starts out really sci fi with its, um, hmm. with its, uh, so they're both sci fi inflected action films, basically, with these, um, deadly viruses as the, as the, um, MacGuffin. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, the sci-fi stuff is sort of really strong at the start and then kind of drops away uh, with this and it becomes kind of your general action movie. Um, very different kettle of fish to Campbell Drift and it's a, you know, it's a proper, uh, uh, in, you know, international sort of looking yeah. action movie. 
uh, wouldn't you say? I mean, very, Absolutely, very, ex yes. very accessible. Very accessible, very polished. Um, I think the pacing glittered down a little bit at times. Certain scenes go on a bit too long. And again, we've got that sort of, you know, that local humour sort of element. Um, Absolutely, from, definitely, yeah. Uh, which, I mean, which, very similar to like Indian movies, yeah. You know, so the... Which, funnily enough, funnily enough, yeah. that brings me right back to Hobbs and Shaw. Because <laughs> this, there are two scenes in there, one with Kevin Hart and one with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Which have nothing to do with the film, really. You know, they're there just to sort of bolster the uh, the star oh. appeal of the film. Yes, yeah, cameos. Like, oh look, it's, it's Ryan Reynolds. Oh look, it's Jeremy Hart. You know. Although I did but, think, say, without <laughs> spending too much time on Hobson Shaw, I did I did actually really like that Kevin Hart scene mm. where he basically turns up to be Joe Pesci from. I like, I, must have it, I, I like both. I like the Ryan Reynolds bit as well. But yeah, uh, me Kevin, too. Kevin Hart sort of going on about sort of the rock, sort of saying, "Oh, he's doing weights and everything." Yeah, he like me sort of going to the gym, and he turns around to Jason Statham and goes, "What? What do you do? Pilates?" Yeah, <laughs> just thought that was really cool. But, so the anyway. the lead guy in this, Jay, he's a big hulking guy now. Mm. When I was actually say I hadn't seen Hobson Shaw at this point, but I was I was looking at him and I think who does he look like? Mm. And the the main person who I was reminded of was Byron Mann, oh, yeah. who's who's most recently in um, Woo Assassins. But mm. I was thinking he looks like he looks like Byron Mann crossed with with um, Dwayne Johnson or perhaps uh, the Indian actor Salman Khan. Mm. But you know, big imposing guy, you know, quite charming. You know, he's uh, he's got quite a nice appeal to him, and he has to go. His team get taken out, and he has to uh, find, you know, try and track down his his sister in this case. Uh, and there's some quite interesting developments that happen with that, which I enjoyed. The there's a lot of action in it. Now, uh, I think you'll agree with me that the problem with this film, in, in terms of its action, is just over editing, and you know, just not knowing how to compose. Uh, an, a, a fight scene or action, you know, action Basically, sequence. Yeah. If effectively, there's lots of you know, really fast cuts and you know, framing issues. But when you can see what's going on, I thought it was really good. I think the best fight in the film is the one that takes place in that motel room between Jay and um, uh, the other girl. I thought I thought that was actually well done. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, as you say, the rest of it is it's very choppily sort of put together. Yeah, there's a there's a whole sequence that a big action scene that takes place in a in like a an arcade or you know arcade kind of part with a roller coaster inside. Yeah. Which I thought was well, interesting. I, well, I've seen a few malls like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it must be like a mall or yeah. or, or something. Yeah, it was like um very distinctive. I didn't know if it was a particular you know I, I I'm guessing like because a couple of the scenes that we've seen I think in this film um they're like local landmark. Kind of places, I like yeah, yeah. you know places that people would recognise, uh, you know popular attractions and such like that. So yeah, I thought that that added some production value in that. And there was a little bit of a Arnold Schwarzeneggery kind of aspect to a couple of those sequences. Yeah, I thought. it was actually. It did remind me of Commando a little bit. Yeah, that whole bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, definitely, no. Mission, definitely, Mission Impossible is in there. Oh, and there's it. And, and come on, the nod, uh, the the tuxedo scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, very much a nod to James Bond. Yeah. They're just doing the whole. They're just doing the whole thing in this. Uh, oh, the the face, the face mask even scene. Face mask. Yeah, even a face mask. <laughs> it, it was. Yeah, it's like it's almost like their version of Mission Impossible Two. Yeah. You know. Um, and there's elements of Twenty Four and stuff in there. So oh, yeah. uh, it's very. I mean, but again, 
you've got those localized kind of elements. So you've mentioned the comedy already, but also family melodrama playing in uh, the you know this this sort of you know relationship between. So uh, you've got the the hero and his uh, father, who's basically the again mm. a kind of an adopted father. Uh, you know, father is adopted. His father, uh, his real father, was killed, uh, and him and his sister. So, and it's the relationship between those three uh, is kind of becomes the heart of the movie, and they really, really focus on that quite a lot. Uh, back to Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> yeah. It's all about family. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I was talking to my my brother about you know Hobbs and Shaw and how does it you know be, it being quite different to the Fast and Furious movies, and I was thinking, but actually, it's not really. If you think about, it, I mean, in terms of the sci-fi elements and that, they all come in. I mean, it all this is all uh, James Bond stuff. You know, this is where it all comes from. I, I, I fully expect one of the, uh, a, one a key character, let's say, mm-hmm. from um, Hobbs and Shaw. I would not be surprised if he came back in a in a second film that was taking place in space, and he had a girlfriend with pigtails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the you know all this sort of sci-fi and over the top kind of stuff. This is all from James Bond, and the, 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 all these films are influenced by that. And this is this this film is as is influenced by all of these. Uh, and it's and it's giving it a really good go, uh, and I enjoyed it. And say the family melodrama stuff. There's a couple of interesting bits in there. Actually, I think some of the family stuff is actually more interesting with, than what they did in Hobson Shaw. But the um, mm. obviously the action scenes and that aren't, aren't anywhere near as good. Um, but so it, the film for me was only really let down by that editing. Uh, I, I really liked everything else in it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Even though, even though you know. It is a Apart from the comic. other other films we've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, did you see the credit that popped up at the end? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I saw the end credits for the, for the next one. I'm going to be talking about for sure. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I don't, don't remember. So special thanks to Andy Lau. Oh, interesting. Who was apparently an advisor on the film. Oh, that's interesting. So I was thinking, Andy Lau. <laughs> and so I looked it up, and it was like, yeah, I think he advised on the action or or something about the movie. But uh, yeah, so he was involved. I apologise, Mike. I cut you off a moment ago when you were when you were. Uh, oh, no. I really apologise. <laughs> uh, as as regular listeners to this show will know, I have a terrible, terrible habit of talking over Mike and interrupting him. It's it's a terrible, terrible habit, uh, and I apologise unreservedly uh, for all the times that I do it. And unfortunately, I will probably never stop. And the fact we've got, we have a lag on the um, on the Skype sometimes that doesn't help. <laughs> that doesn't help either. And unfortunately, I've got the memory of Dory from Finding Dory. <laughs> anyway, uh, how are we going to score J Revolucy? I feel like giving it a seven. I think it's definitely worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a low seven for me, but it does scrape a seven. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a lot of watch. You might get a feeling of deja vu watching it, but it is very slick, very polished. Um, yeah, it, it works. So check out J. Which one was this on? This is this is on Amazon Prime, isn't it? It is. Um, oh, was there? A, there's a there's a whole element of this where he's basically being pursued by uh, a guy from work who really doesn't like him very much. Yeah. So uh, I, I was well, trying to think of a hand pusher kind of character. Yeah, that's right. And I was thinking, I think that's something because I was thinking, I know that from something else as well. I think that might be twenty four or something like that. Yeah. It's, usually, it's usually um that kind of situation. But yeah, so was, well, like, plays it by the book. God damn it! You know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think without the comic relief and and the um, 
and the over-editing and stuff. This was this is a really solid film. So check it out. Our third and final film for Malaysia this week is Pascal. This is based on the true event of the um, Malaysian Special Forces team going in to rescue a freighter from um, pirates. And in this we follow a, um, a soldier called Aman as he gets selected for the um, Pascal unit along with his best mate. Um, has a few ups and downs, shall we say, and eventually ends up leading this mission against one of their own, um, a rogue agent who has joined the, the pirates. That old chestnut. That old chestnut, indeed. Um, who knows how much of this, you know, how much of the, the sort of dramatic elements are actually true, but the end credits do sort of give credence to the actual event that happened. Um, okay, so we've we've definitely seen this sort of film before. Uh Let's face it. Probably most recently with the um, the mountain films, especially Mountain Two. Yeah. Um, you know um, this sort of film about sort of showing these guys sort of going through their basic training and the sort of special forces training, and then being sort of selected for these sort of missions and the all the sort of jingoistic patriotism that goes with it. Um, personally, I love this kind of film. I absolutely do. I think, and I think this is a great example of that sort of thing. I'm getting the impression you're not quite on board with this, Rich. No, I am definitely. I really enjoyed it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just well, trying to put, throw you off the. I was trying to throw you off the scent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's very similar. Touches on similar themes to J. Revolucci, both about special forces guys. This one is more about the team. Uh, that although it's still very much focused on one main character in this case, Armand, we've got more family drama. So this is uh, he's all, he's also a guy who's lost his father and. Um, his mother is kind of quite resentful of, you know, how distant and sort of focused he is on his job. And he's kind of a bit torn because she's got cancer. Uh, so he's kind of torn between, look, you know, should he be, you know, uh, yeah, doing his, doing his bit for his country yeah, or should he be preparing so. for his family? And the kind of the film unfolds to kind of tell you, how he feels about that uh, as, as it kind of gets to the end. So special forces movie, you know, team, you know, under, you know, the first 20 minutes of this film is a whole section in itself. The, the yeah. title appears and I hate it when they do this. The title appears 20 minutes into the film after the end of the first act. So no one is really established until that point everything's kind of it's it's full on it's a mission you know we don't know who anyone is really we don't I mean we can recognize who the good guys are and who the bad guys are but that's about have it you, it's just one have, have you managed to see um operation red sea yet no i haven't no does that do the same thing yeah it, it does exactly the same thing it's almost <laughs> like an identical mission but but done more stylishly i have to say but um no, I, 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 yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's about fifteen, twenty minute sequence of this, um, yeah. this other sort of rescue they have to do. And um, then the the credits of the film, mm. uh, and, and I can't remember if it's, I think that's it. I think it's the bit at the very start of the film before. The, I mean, uh, like the very, very start. So you have got like the graphics and that, that you know, established who Pascal are and everything. Mm. Like real exposition overload. <laughs> I was like, really found it really hard to take it all in. Uh, especially because obviously it's all subtitled now. But then some of the other bits that come up, like the when the characters are introduced, mm. um, they get like their their job titles or you know their positions and things yeah. come up, and they're not translated. 
in the version yeah, that I was watching. That's right. But that was a bit frustrating. But you're essentially in sort of Delta Force meets Captain Phillips kind of territory with some of at least some of this film. Yeah. Uh, but the there's some you know it's very polished, very big budget. Uh, the um, action scenes are very good. Uh, none of the criticisms that I had of J. Rob Lucy in the case of this is very in. Uh, uh, heavy-handed or something you could say you know you've got blood and guts in this one this is yeah. quite full-on and you know the, the the relationships between the characters is all really good the drama is very good i i was particularly intrigued because um here's an, another aspect of malaysia is that it's a muslim country yeah. uh, and we get the tip we get the traditional uh sort of almost traditional like in in american movies you might see them the guys having a christian prayer before going into battle. Well, in this one, they, they, they're Muslim, so they do a Muslim prayer, and it's intercut with the lock and load stuff. Yeah, which and, is really... and that is actually really well done. You know, Yes, very well done. Some really good editing and sound effects to go yeah. with it. Um, yeah, that is very very well done, the sequence, that. So there's a lot about the lead character and his legacy and, and his, you know, set regrets, or, you know, is he doing the right thing with his life and stuff? Uh, it's a very, very flag-waving, patriotic movie. Sending a, you know, it's like a pro- it's a propaganda movie essentially, uh, as far as I'm concerned, as much as anything like Wolf Warrior Two or anything else. And we get um, flashbacks. Uh, now, I was a bit unclear as to what point the flashbacks were, where where we were in flashback or where we were in current time. But we get a lot of the basic training, as you were saying, which I really liked. You know, all the getting caught on the barbed wire and everything, and the, the heavy-handedness and the guy who's doing the training is like, I knew your dad. I've got to kind of make, I've got to make it even harder for you because I don't want anything to happen to you. So there's this like fatherly bond kind of thing happening. You know, there's all this stuff, which is, which is really good. There's the guy who eventually becomes the bad guy of the film is really resentful of the others. He just thinks he's above it all and he's better. And he's a, he's a pretty good bad guy. I thought. Yeah, because uh, it, 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 it does a good job of sort of building up his motivation, I think, doesn't it? In his, in his character, as you say, you know, he's during the basic training bit, he's always seen as a bit of a loner and, and wanting to be the best and all that. And, as it, you know, when, when they sort of get their ceremonial bit and one of the other characters wins, like, you know, best cadet or something, mm. and you can see his face going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's really well done, you know, and eventually you get to the point where they're in the Middle East and the sort of mission goes wrong, and, and it's basically all his fault, you know, um, and, and he's sort of resentful of what happens there as well. So, so this yeah. is when they're on the UN peacekeeping mission in Angola, mm. is that right? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that particularly struck you about that sequence, that section of the film? Did you notice anything? Did anything? Did anything happen? Did anything? Did you see anything that, that made you go, "What on earth is what?" <laughs> did anything catch you off guard like that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. Oh, so, no, well, yeah, yeah. Actually, you say that. Go on. No. Uh, no. Any no. any particular actor? Any you know? Yeah, any? You mean Tiger Chen? Tiger Chen. Yeah. Were you not as surprised as I was when? I w- well, it, I, I didn't notice him until the credits, actually. Oh right, okay. But, um, but yeah. So I was watching it and I was thinking, "Hang on, that's Tiger. <laughs> is that Tiger Chen?" So I just I, I looked him up and I was just like, "Yes, it is." Mm. Like, that's random. And he he it does get he gets one like little action moment, 
Mm. It's not. It's, he doesn't do like a big fight scene or anything. But yeah, he's he's kind of from the Chinese. Uh, That's uh, right. Yeah, the ones they're given the, 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 the lift to, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so he's kind of along for the ride. So it's kind of a weird cameo kind of bit that they that they put, yeah. that they put in there. And mm-hmm. it, I, I'm not surprised that you know that people might not notice it, but it's kind of a bit. It's very interesting that you know. Andy Lau was involved in the last one. Tiger Chen's kind of involved in this one. It's like they're very much looking to the Chinese film industry, I think, sure. for a lot yeah. for a lot of inspiration and and, and that, um, which I guess is understandable. The the being that that's the most successful film industry in the in that at, at neck of the woods uh, in that area of the world. Um, you know, Singapore doesn't have Singapore probably does the same thing, I guess. But yeah. the um, yeah. So I love that surprise of, of seeing him, even though he didn't get to do much. But uh, which is kind of a bit similar to um, you know when Scott Atkins turns up in like that Egyptian film. Yeah, it's all about like. So for me, this you know this does sort of fit in with that sort of um, Operation Red Sea, Operation Mekong kind of film. You know the mountain to, you know I, I think it's in good com- You know it, it fits in well with that genre of filming. Um, the French one, Special Forces. Have you seen that? I have. Yeah, that's to be honest, that's a bit of a lesser one. That's, yeah, it's kind of more drama, isn't it? Yeah, Jimon Hansu and um, mm. uh, Jackie Carrier is in that. But, yeah. And the thing is, I I've got nothing against the sort of patriotism in these films at all. You know, and, and they tend to be less jingoistic than the American ones. The American ones are all about yeah, we're number one. We're you know we're we're the the most sort of you know. The most righteous country on earth. These other ones are just sort of saying, "We love our country, and we'll go. We'll look after our people." You know, that, that's that is essentially the message at the end of Operation Red Sea. They're going, you know, wherever you are in the world, if you're in if you're in help, you know, China China's got your back, which which I think is a great sort of message to have, basically. <laughs> and, and you know, and this, you know, there's there's a lot in this film about sort of what it is to serve your country. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, Armand's mother doesn't get it, you know, the fact that her husband sort of died in, in the line of duty and, you know, her, her son's sort of throwing himself into this and she doesn't, she doesn't just re- really understand until the end of the film, which is going, oh, I was wrong, you know, which is, which is a kind of weird message, um, really, but, um, yeah, no. I'm, he's really I'm, hardened by the end of the film, isn't he? It's like, he is, he, yeah. It's like quite but, unemotional. Well, the thing is that there's that bit at the end because I think because they're sort of special forces, they got to hide their identity. Yeah, so that's what I think. That's why they were wearing those yeah, masks. They were wearing stuff. those masks, which is why yeah. he didn't, he couldn't show emotion at that moment. You know, and she's she's sort of speaking to him, and he's he's as cold as he can be to sort mm. of so no one goes, oh, he he must be related to her then, you know that sort of thing, um, which which I thought was you know an interesting moment, but um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm as, as long as it's not over top, you know, there's no real flag waving. I think it's a bit right at the beginning where they stick the, the Malaysian flag on their uniform, and that's about it. You know, really, it's, it's more about their actions than, than words. It's not like Wolf Warrior Two where they literally wave the flag, <laughs> like yeah, hold it up. Even, but even so, that that had context within the film. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no. I'm, I'm all for it, and and you know when when films are this you know as polished as this, they're, they're an easy watch for sure. Lots of it was in English as well, which I thought yes, was really. I mean, yeah. I mean that not just the bits where they were. Um, so the UN peacekeeping mission was like English is the shared language, so 
Tiger Chen speaking in English and, and yeah, I don't know if if they have a sort of similar history to like the Philippines and uh, uh, you know in other countries where there's been that sort of colonialism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know now now there's sort of you know more sort of Muslim predominant sort of country. Um, and it's interesting to see that sort of element in these sort of films, as if it's you know as as a normal aspect of everyday life. You know, sort of newsreaders sort of wearing a um, hijab and things like that. Yeah, um, it's all very interesting. Um, and I think from the opening, it was saying that this was like um, in Malaysia, it's like one of the first instances of armed in, armed protection of uh, yeah, the. Yeah. The vessels and things yeah, exactly. like that. So, yeah. And that, like you say, it's not just that they're looking after their particular area. It's kind of they go all over the place. You know, they're, they're kind of. You know, another sweating. thing I, I like to, you know, that, that whole mission at the beginning, um, you know, obviously, you know, they're escorting vehicle, uh, escorting um, ships up and down this strait. Um, was it the Aden Gulf, Gulf of Aden? Mm-hmm. I think it was. And, um, you know, they're sort of saying other ships of other nationalities flock to them for protection. Yeah. You know, uh, because they're there. Um, but what I really liked about that sequence was the fact that obviously they've drilled these crews to say, this is what you do if you're going to get boarded. You know, lock, lock the steering, switch all the engines off, turn all the lights off and go and hide in the, you know, in your little hideaway. And then just wait to be rescued, which <laughs> is really cool. Um, it's sort of standard operating procedure for what to do when, when boarded, which I thought was really cool. So how, how did you, did you enjoy the oil rig sequence? The oil rig thing, yeah, it was it was good. Um, it sort of it felt more truncated than the opening of the film, I thought. It did a bit, but um, yeah, it was, it was still a good sequence. You know, um, all the bits I love, sort of snipers and all the rest of it. Um, oh, what about the Gatling gun bit? The Gatling gun, yes, that was really cool. As well. That was crazy. That was one of the, that was the one bit in the movie where I was like, Jesus, <laughs> it's like really intense. So it's like probably a bit over the top, but it's like they set up this like automatic weapon. Yeah. Just uh, what, and you know, I was really feeling. It. I was like, oh no, he's gonna get shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they did a really good job of setting you know this guy, this this ex, ex Pascal member who. Knew, knew all their tricks and things, and yeah. knew what where their weaknesses were. It was, it was, yeah, it's just done really well. Uh, did you notice that the score was done by Mike Shinoda? I did not. No. Yeah, that's very interesting because he so he did the raid as well, didn't he? he did, yeah. So the guy from Linkin Park. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he did, he did the soundtrack for this as well. Very interesting. So, yeah. Right. Scores on the doors, matey. Uh, I'm definitely going up to an eight for this one. Yeah, this is definitely the best of the bunch this week. Um, very, very polished. It drops the local sort of the humour bit. Um, it, 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 yes, we've we've seen stuff like this before, as as we've said. You know, um, it definitely fits in with with certain other films, but it it, it can hold its head and shoulders high, I think. So um, yeah, Pascal definitely an eight out of ten for us. Our DTV throwback this week is a film called Evolver, which, as I mentioned earlier, I had never heard of before this week, um, when Rich sort of put this on our list. Uh, this is from 1995, and in this one, a popular virtual reality video game gets ported to real life 
and Kyle, one of the best Evolver players in the US, gets the opportunity to try playing against a little robot version of the arcade game. Um, but as he finds out, this thing wants to win at all costs. Um, okay, so I, w- I was interested to see um, John Delancey in this. Uh, yeah. Played Q on the uh, Next Generation, yep. among other things, um, and he plays this um, slightly sort of disillusioned um, mad scientist, basically mad scientist guy. <laughs> it's a bit naive um, who sort of develops this thing. It's ostensibly for a toy manufacturer um, to sort of you know in, in time for Christmas, and this kid called Kyle. Um, he basically wins the opportunity, or he he, he cheats for the opportunity um, to win this um, this robot um, from this video game that he likes playing down the local arcade. Um, Rich, over to you. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I'll just sort of preface. I mean, I recommended this because I love this film. The um, I used to have this on uh, videotape. Uh, this was released in, in it was made uh, in 1995 and released the same year over here on the Medusa label uh, and uh, I, I just watched it tons uh, the it's got a, a very good cast uh, loved the robot uh, loved all the action it's basically war games meets the terminator uh, with yeah. a, with like a little bit of et in there as well a but a little bit of gremlins kind of thing yeah it's kind of if you if uh, it's like the I always think of the Terminator as a sci-fi version of um, Halloween because mm. Terminator is basically a slasher movie, and this is the same kind of setup. I mean, there's been killer robot movies before. There's stuff like Chopping Mall, which I confess I've never seen. Uh, I, wow. I, I do need to rectify that. Yeah, but uh, that's the one I have seen. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, is a is robot quite similar in that to, to this, of. or is it kind yeah, of different? Yeah. But, yeah, but so similar, yeah. So the it was only really watching it now, uh, all these years later. Now it's turned up on Amazon Prime. Uh, although I think it's been available to rent for quite some time. It hasn't had any DVD release or anything. Hmm. Uh, it's only ever been on the, the videotape. Uh, it's only really watching it uh, what tw- over twenty years later that I kind of see it in a uh, with a with a maturity. You know, kind of hmm. watching it with a m- bit more of a critical eye. But that said. I didn't enjoy it any less. I, th- I thought it was just as good as, as when I watched it without that all that extra knowledge that I've kind of brought over the years. The cast, uh, I always enjoyed um, Ethan Randall in, in this. So he made this the same year as Empire Records, uh, interestingly enough, which was kind of a, a much bigger movie. Uh, and after that, he changed his name to Ethan Embry. Uh, as, uh, I think you're familiar with his work from... Yeah. Stuff like Convergence and stuff, I guess. Yeah, sorry, Convergence and The Devil's Candy, and also the TV series um, Grace and Frankie. Oh, right, yeah. So he's very much, a, he does a lot of support. I think he, there's two or three films that we've watched the late, uh, in the show that he's been in. He does a lot of DTV stuff. He's very much a character actor these days, but he was like a child star, teen star. He was in Can't Hardly Wait, which is probably one of my favourite DTV movies ever. Because it's just such a great film uh, and like one of the most amazing casts ever. Uh, brilliant team movie. And um, this he made a few years before that. Um, uh, the the rest of the cast. So you mentioned John Delancey. We've also got uh, Cindy Pickett, who is uh, playing his mum. He was also Ferris Bueller's mum. Yes. Right, yeah. uh, and Cassidy Ray, who was um, 
I only know, by the way, I only know this from doing research. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. really familiar with Cassidy Rowe or anything, but apparently she was on Melrose Place and Models oh. Inc. Uh, but what I was, I, what I never got from this film, uh, the first time around, you know, I loved all the robot going around killing people stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't catch on with the, the sort of silliness of some of the things like, the girl is introduced in the arcade at the beginning of the film when she ruins um, yeah, uh, Kyle's game. Yeah. yeah. So they have like this bickering sort of argument thing, and that kind of sets up the introduction to the romance that's going to under out her. But she, he never pursues her. No, she, she just t- she just away. turns up. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> she so comes so around to his house, and then all of a sudden she's involved in the story, and then they're like together all the time. And uh, and then it turns into romance and whatever. So it's, it's, she's literally just added in. <laughs> they, they do nothing really to develop her much apart from a little um, a little conversation that tries to stretch her character. We never meet her parents or anything. No. Or, you know, well, she, kind of, we, we do learn that she is from a single parent family. Yeah, but we never see any of that. No. <laughs> it's kind of literally just she's there and then she's well, there. Well, the funny thing is, I, at one point I was thinking... Is she there to steal the robot or something? You know, is she, is she going to turn out to be a spy or, or some, <laughs> some other ridiculous thing? Now there is there is one scene in here which um, you know in today's age would look a bit off. There's a oh. scene where um, they send the robot when the robot is still reasonably benevolent. They yeah. send it on a mission to film inside the girls' locker room and in, in the showers. Uh, it's nice thing. Sort of the towel hamper, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of watching this and thinking, hang on, these guys are still at high school. Yeah. You know, so, what age are we looking at here? Um, which, it, you know, it's it's a bit. Mm, well, that days. was fairly, you know, stock kind of standard for the, well, the period, exactly. wasn't it? The 80s and 90s, yeah. they did it all the time. Yeah. Although the, the, the people who are being objectified are not the age that they're supposed to be. But, you know, that, that was kind of part of the course. What is quite interesting in is we, obviously, we get the female nudity. Mm. We also get a really, really long, lingering shot of a guy's uh, guy in the shower, you know, like a butt yeah. shot. <laughs> a very, very tight butt shot. <laughs> and then, um, but, the, but the thing that I love about this, here, apart from the, the great death scene that sort of follows that, is um, so he gets out of the shower mm. and purely... In, it's it's purely a film thing that for the pace of the film. Mm. So he 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 has the shower, goes back to his locker, and immediately starts getting dressed. Yes. Would you not dry yourself first? Yeah. Well, not only that, but I, I noticed a sort of continuity thing there where um he, he puts his shirt on and his shirt is still untucked from his trousers, and then he immediately starts pulling on his jumper over the top. And I'm thinking, well, surely you tuck his shirt in, but and then it sort of cuts away, and then cuts back, and he's tucked his shirt in, and he's still pulling on his his jumper, you know. So I just thought, mm, okay. But um, the robot itself, um, I, did I you like the robot? Do you like the robot? It was all right. It, it, it kind of reminded me of, um, is it Zorg? You know, the um, the, the thing that um, Buzz Lightyear's enemy in um, the Toy Story ones, you know. Oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the same mouth. Emperor's yeah, Yes, sir, yeah. But um, I must admit, you know, as it goes through these levels, it's, it's quite funny. It's, you know, when it's playing games, sort of level one, and it's all quite benevolent. Um, ha ha, I'm shooting ping pong balls at you or something. Then it gets to level two, 
and all of a sudden these other weapons start appearing. Yeah. And and, and his head starts sort of levitating on you know on on a sort of longer neck. And I was kind of expecting as it sort of went up the levels that mm. it was going to get bigger and bigger. Awesome. You know, it's also like unfolding like some almost like a transformer kind of thing. Yeah. But it doesn't. It sort of roughly stays the same size. Yeah. Throughout the film, which which I kind of, for me it sort of like hurt. It's um, you know, it didn't quite seem quite so frightening as a result. You know, it didn't seem that threatening being this sort of little boxy robot all the time. Okay, so the the robot, it, as it say, the the game is Evolver, and the the robot is modelled on that, and the robot himself evolves, as you say. So he goes to Kyle's place, and Kyle has to play the game, and every level that gets completed, Evolver evolves and he changes, he, he, he ups his game yeah. and he's, you know, he's artificial intelligence. So we get a full on um, development of the Evolver robot character. So he starts out very innocent and a bit, you know, silly, uh, not silly, but like, you know, not very intelligent. Like the, the, the sister character goes, oh, he's really stupid and stuff. And it's like, no, he's actually, he's learning, he's mapping yeah. your house and stuff. Uh, which all comes into play, and there's there's lots of little uh, seeds that are planted. In the, well, that's why I think the film itself is very cleverly put together. It's you know it knows what it's doing. So the uh, it's written and directed by Mark Rosman. He began his career directing the House on Sorority Row, and then later after this, he went on to a successful career working with Hilary Duff. Surprisingly, uh, he, he worked on the Lizzie McGuire TV show, and also then did two theatrically released films with her called uh, A Cinderella Story and The Perfect Man. He didn't do the Lizzie McGuire movie, uh, but he did uh, say he's, he's worked quite extensively with her. So he's fan- this is very much a journeyman director is where I'm coming from. Uh, and this is kind of a film, you know, very much in the sort of a low budget realm, but he's, I think it's really well written um, for, for the budget. I mean, it's working with a low budget and you, you see like those arcade scenes and stuff and the, you know, the, the, the VRs. So the arcade is literally an empty room with like a stand where people are, you know, wearing helmets and that, that we remember from back in the nineties and yeah. a bunch of, a bunch of extras. Now there's a later scene in this arcade where there's two stoner characters who were there my just to the body my favorite scene in the film. Is it? Really? <laughs> but there's no, there's no supervising people in there. They're just in there smoking weed <laughs> and playing this game. It's a, it's a, an absurd scene, but if it, you know, very fun. Very fun, uh, you know, death yeah, scene out of the body. Yeah. But evolve, getting back to it, so Evolver starts looking for uh, ways to strategize to increase his chances of winning. So he's uh, becomes deceptive, and he's he, he finds ball bearings and goes, "Oh, actually, you know, that would be better." Better my ping pong balls. Yeah. That would be better than these ping pong balls that I'm using. <laughs> uh, and it just escalates, and all of a sudden, you know, he's composed. He's he's, he's conjuring electricity. Uh, because he's charging himself up so much and he puts it all into, um, uh, he's, he's, uh, what's he holding onto the side of the swimming pool? He's going to kill the, oh, yeah, kill yeah. his sister and all, yeah. all this sort of stuff. So, and then the, the, the robot's getting taken away and they're like, oh, it's, uh, it's a bad thing. Oh, cause, um, Kyle's investigating. He's doing the whole, uh, Matthew Broderick in, in War Games thing of looking into it and researching it and trying to hack it and stuff and, uh, finds out that, oh, actually, this is not really a toy. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the system in this is, uh, is very much a uh, weapons grade, as you could say. And yeah, I think the, the way they handle it and Evolver himself, the way the, the I mean, I think the, the robot is brilliantly designed. 
the special effects, you know, the because it's all practical, there's no C, you know, it's not a CGI robot yeah. or anything. Yeah, Looks really good. It would never sell as a Christmas toy in a million years because <laughs> no, no. imagine what it would cost. Jeez. But um, the uh, which is made by the Cybertronic company, and uh, mm-hmm. the they're trying to they're hoping that this will be the, the next big thing for them, uh, and it, it's sort of banking on it. Uh, this um, the CEO character who features mm-hmm. quite prominently in it. The um, so the robot is, uh, he's got great, uh, delivery of his lines. And he, yeah. uh, by the end of the movie, he's like being cheeky and, you know, sort of yeah. vindictive. He's got, his, he's got his own personality, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and which is kind of, it, the, the, where it ends up is kind of impl- completely implausible, hmm. but very, you know, absorbing and engaging and, you know, what a great villain. And I only today, having seen the film, Many, many times since it originally came out in 1995, I only today learned who the voice of Evolver is, and it blew my mind. All right, let me let me have a quick. No, can I can I tell you because it will be more exciting. It's William H Macy. No. Yes. Jesus. William H Macy is Evolver. Oh my god. Which I was I was thinking that makes sense as to why he why Evolver sounds so good. Yeah, because he had a good actor. Well, <laughs> it wasn't just some guy delivering the lines. He was like, "That's why he's found." So all that, you know, um, it's uh, you know, when Evolver turns around at the end, you know, there's that mm. um, the low angle shot, and it's all dark, and he goes, "Don't fuck with me." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like, and you just thinking that's William H Macy doing that. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just brilliant. Uh, it's a knife jerk brain and yeah, all that. She copies yeah. from the telly and that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I never knew that the secret ingredient in this film was William H. Macy all that time. Uh, so, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. So, this is sitting on um, Amazon Prime. Just sitting there waiting for you to discover it, basically. Um, I, I I was really entertained by this film. It's definitely worth a look. Um, yeah, so if you want a sort of bit of... Um, it's not even 80s throwback, it's a mid-90s throwback. It's a psycho, you know, we had loads of psycho movies in the night, so this is a psychotic robot movie. Yeah, so, so this will go hand-in-hand hand with um, uh, Chopping Mall, really, so go for that. Um, but yeah, To so a certain extent, you can watch it with small soldiers as well, because mm. that touched yeah. on some similar things in that as well, but with like a Tommy Lee Jones character. So you liked it? I'm, I'm I did you, like it, yeah. I, 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 I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad you it. Check it out. It's the last part of the show, so it's over to Rich with the washing up. Another week, another DC animated film, uh, it seems. It's like we can't, we, you know, it doesn't seem five minutes since the last one. So what have we got now? This one is another of the dark tales. Uh, It's no sign of Scooby-Doo or anything in this one. This is Batman Hush. And it's very good, I have to say. I have actually seen this. Um, it does sort of use just about every one of the main villains. They all turn up at one point or another. So you've got a bit of the Joker, the Riddler, the Poison Ivy, the Penguin, Two Face. I can see we've got yeah, I can see we've got Scarecrow and Bane yeah. in there Bane, as well. Yeah, Harley um, Quinn. Harley Quinn and he, and Catwoman uh, has a very prominent role in it, although she's sort of one of the good guys in this. Um, yeah, so this was based on a sort of short-run series, sort of comic book series, I believe. And it's all to do with this character, Hush, who seems to be doing his best to sort of bring Batman to his knees. 
um, and sort of seems to know all his tricks and things. It is pretty decent. Um, sort of, you know, I don't know if it needed every single Batman villain in it. You know, um, they'll get a moment. But there you go. But I, I really enjoyed it. Next up, we've got what is essentially Critters 5. It's Critters Attack. Yeah, we looked at the trailer for this a, a while back, and I know it's coming out soon. I think it's coming out around about the 26th of August, because um, I've been offered a a, tea, um, a screener for it, but I'm about to go on holidays, which is, so I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think we, this is we, one we've definitely got to We've definitely got to look at, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it looks very good. It, it, it's in the vein of the, um, the Leprechaun Returns. You know, it, it's got that sort of, that's kind of, knowing wink to itself a little bit you know about good sort of production values as well but the interesting i think it was Vern, uh, who it was either Vern or foy wonder i saw reviewed it saying it the, the unfortunate how can how can it be that the 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 visual effects in it are worse than they were in uh, i think 1985 or so, or 6 or, or whatever when the original one came out or when the original films came out the um how can the effects be inferior uh i th- i'm guessing you know i mean the the quality of the effects of those original films hmm. was really good i think it was like the chiodo uh, brothers uh, did it and um you know the the the, the critters were just excellent but i think even the later films the the the, the um, like four and like three and four um this this is kind of a bit cheap Compared to the others. Now, there's this year we also had the Critters a new binge TV yeah. series on Shudder, oh. so uh, which is completely unrelated to this. Yeah. So that's quite curious that two and there Critters was a projects. Short as well, wasn't there? The short was a fan film that was made uh, a few years ago as well. That was that was a good kind of like, like teaser for a comeback. I don't know if that was a was any kind of reason why um i mean because the the director i mean that was a pitch film he was essentially trying to get a job doing a critics film he didn't get the job um but i do wonder if interest in that film was perhaps a catalyst in some extent uh it might even be that that guy was um, in some way involved with with these productions in production or something i don't know but either way i think i think it's great that the critics is back uh uh, do you have a particular have you you, well i'll firstly ask I think Are you overly familiar with the original ones? Well, we've I've talked... only seen the first one. You've only seen the first one, mm. yeah. So the second one's really good. It's got the um, Easter Bunny kind of thing going on. That's what. Well. That's a lot of fun. Like, there's a guy in an Easter Bunny suit, and he gets a lot of critters okay. inside him, and that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think we're back on Earth with this one. So, uh, and I think that this might be a reboot because mm. Dee Wallace Stone appears in this, but I don't think she's been cast as the same character she was in the original film right. so i think they've they've kind of it's it's a bit of stunt casting for a reboot so i'm very interested to see how it turns out basically mm-hmm. so next complete other end of the spectrum on this one very high profile one of the best film directors uh, there is brian de palma his new yeah. film domino yeah so it's going straight to dvd in the uk i mean mm-hmm. I did um I think, I think Femme Fatale went straight. It to did me. indeed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed that, actually. Yeah, I did as well. Um, that was the um, Re- Rebecca Romain, Stamos, yeah. and right. Antonio Banderas film from yeah. a very long time ago now. It was like 15 it's years ago, I think. It's got an amazing final scene as well. So, um, really, really clever, sort of forceful 
perspective kind of uh, filmmaking. It's very stylish, um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if, I'm very intrigued to see if this one's a, a very stylish thriller. I mean, the cover's quite generic, of, yeah, like a it? guy holding a gun kind of thing, but it's all set, I think, in Copenhagen uh, or something like that. Uh, so the, yeah, the I, casting... I don't know much about it, I must admit. So. Nikolai Costa Waldau is uh, the lead, and Caprice Van Houten is in it, and Guy, like and Guy Pierce. As well, right. So. Okay. Well, I'm sold. I'm sold with those three. Yeah. Definitely gonna have to check that out. Uh, at the uh, the next film we're going to talk about briefly is uh, Escape Plan Three, mm. uh, also originally known as Escape Plan: The Extractors. That's what it's known as in the states. Okay. So putting this film aside, uh, uh, you know, looking, you you've posted two pictures here, two posters for this film. And both of them look awkward as fuck. They they, they both look like um, like fan made posters. <laughs> they just look, you know, the just most dreadful photoshopped pieces of crap. You know, yeah, they, the, they, look, they, they look like bootlegs of their own film. Yeah, kind of. It does make you wonder. I wasn't sure whether I'm not sure exactly where that poster that I've got on the left come out. I think it's the Chinese poster, yeah. but the the cover that was used for the eventual DVD release in the States does feature that same central image mm. of uh, Stallone and Batista. It just and looks so awkward, it? it? does look a bit... It do, I mean, it does. It's not a very good poster. I do like the... I do think the UK, the new poster mm. they've done, looks pretty striking. Well, you know, not nothing spectacular or anything, but I don't mind it at all. I think I, I like the fact that Max Zhang is getting credited yes, because he plays a big role in this, I believe. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and Bitty obviously get getting high credited as well, uh, Stallone specifically, uh, and obviously we get them the two guys. They're the only two guys on the cover, but it, as is was a similar case with the second one, I believe they're not in it a huge amount. There is a lot of heavy lifting done by yeah. various other members of the cast, including yeah, obviously, as well. yeah. yeah. So, um, but I've, I've if, heard better things about this. I won't say I've heard good things. But yeah. I've certainly heard better things about this over the the second one. Yes, um, so, which most uh, people didn't like. And yeah. The and Stallone himself has you know said he hated it essentially, which is probably why it didn't get shot back to back with the second one that like was originally planned. Uh, he he brought in his mate John Hertzfield to do this one. Yeah. The uh, the production values seem to be much lower on this one from, from the look of the trailer. So it looks a bit cheap and cheerful. So it'll be, a, it'll be very interesting to see how it comes out. I'm, I'm sure it will be more coherent than the second one, hmm. but I did enjoy how stylish that, that, that second film was. The second one did look good in HD. That's for sure. Mm. And next up we have what is being released over here is guardian of the universe, but was originally called Neil Stryker and the tyrant of time. So I think there's a need for a future episode where we look at these films, which are, you know, have been marketed as a a knockoff. What's what's the terminology now? Mockbuster. Mockbuster, yeah. You know, where, where they sort of like come up with a title. I'll give you a good example. Um, it's been a recent remake of Pet Cemetery. Mm. There's also a film called Animal Graveyard. Oh yeah, there's the. That's not the British one, though, is it? There's a British one, I think, like Proportion or Champ Dog have done. What's uh, on? Called um, Pet. I think it's called Pet Grave. Pet Graveyard. Pet Graveyard. No, yeah, I think so. Sure, this was quite animal. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so there's a, quite a lot of this stuff going on. I mean, in this case, it's a film that's been 
bought to sort of and repackaged to try and mm. look like something out wrong rather because say the original poster is kind of very much a cheap and cheerful throwback to some sort of you know like uh i don't know uh, the yeah, one that pops into my head is kind of thing yeah the one that pops into my head is buckaroo banzai yeah uh, and uh, sort of seems to be going in the sort of that Sky kind of route captain and the world of tomorrow, one tomorrow yeah. yeah or um but this guardian in the universe kind of cover we've got that we've kind of got a central image of two guys from i think from the film but the rest seems to be uh from a different film pattern you know just a completely yeah. different set of artwork uh, and sold it, trying to sell it as something a little bit different. It's supposed to be a very silly, low-budget uh, sci-fi comedy, I believe. Right. But very cynically being remarketed to make people go, oh, I didn't realise there's a third one. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, yes, absolutely. The next film, completely different tack uh, from, the, from those, is it's a, it's a very grim-looking film. It's called Gulag. The Forgotten yeah. Prisoners of WW2 but was originally called Eternal Winter, and it's, I believe, a Hungarian film. All right. So this is different to that. Was the other one called Ashes of Winter or something um, recently? Uh, there's been a couple, hasn't there? The, yeah. there, was the, there was the Stalin uh, one with Emily Watson, That's all I think. Of. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, I think what they've done is they've created some artwork in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. For this one, uh, that definitely see. There's, you've got that muted, uh, almost black and white imagery with the with the red for the mm. um, to represent the uh, Soviet Union. The uh, it's almost certainly going to be quite grim. I mean, the original poster is almost completely is devoid of color, pretty much completely. Yeah. Uh, dark, you know, it says based on two hundred and fifty thousand true stories on the original uh, poster. It's oh. uh, it's just about the Horrific treatment of the prisoners in the gulags, I believe. I think that's quite fair to say. I mean, it's, it does, it's not it's not misrepresenting itself in any way, I don't think. But, so. It's a misery fest is what it is. It's, uh, that appears to be what it will be like, yeah. It's a, but, yeah, so if you're interested in wartime dramas, this is probably one that will appeal to you. Uh, getting back to sci-fi territory here, this is quite interesting because it's got, like, the original, it's another retitle, but it's got, like, the longest title. So I kind of... Forgive it for being renamed, uh, although they could have checked, kept the first part. So it's Harmony, hmm. the Five Frequency Saga Part One. So they could have kept they could have kept Harmony, but yeah. it's a bit it's a bit random. Uh, so what they've gone for is Immortal World. Like Perfect other, fans yeah. of Marvel's yeah. Cloak and Dagger, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, that's that's on um, that's on Prime. Prime. Yeah, I must have, I've not I've not checked it out. Um, but it's it's a very Doctor Strange cover, don't you think? They've gone for Doctor Strange in this one, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Have you heard of this at all? I haven't actually. No. I'm, I'm not sure if this is a big budget thing or a low budget thing. Uh, but the you know the original poster was quite stylish. The the yeah. new poster, which is very you know they've gone for that swirly, the swirly uh, thing that Doctor Strange does <laughs> kind of thing. So. Yeah, the sling ring, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> So I haven't really got much to say about that. But so the next one is much more interesting because we've got Tommy Flanagan and mm-hmm. Gary Oldman in yeah. Killers Anonymous and Jessica Alba. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a British movie, uh, yes. uh, crime kind of crime kind of thriller, I think. Yeah. This is quite amusing looking at these two covers. Um, they basically swapped out a different version of 
Gary Oldman to what's in the original cover. <laughs> Kept the back, the other two background characters, but then slapped them with guns, which they're clearly not holding in the in the um, the original <laughs> cover. And stuck the shard and the gherkin in the back as well. Uh, yeah. Rather yeah, than a instead brick. Of, instead of being a brick wall with some bullet holes. Yeah. It got explosions going on next to the gherkin. Oh no. I believe it's, it's some. Weapons. <laughs> I believe it's some. It's a bit of a com. It's almost like a comedy uh, about um, like a recovery group. Hmm. So instead of like Alcoholics Anonymous, they go to a Killers Anonymous group and they're trying not to kill people or something. But that's not the vibe I get from the poster. The poster looked quite, grim, or the cover, I should it, say, sort of grim it looks quite intense. Yeah. 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 I guess so. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, Gary Oldman always interested to see it, but he does. He does turn up in some ropey stuff, uh, as uh, as fans, as, as anybody who, like yourself, has seen Hunter Killer will probably attest. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so I can't judge. Yeah. But I know he's done, you know, like Criminal, for example, yep. with uh, um, Kevin Costner. What's that one? He did a film called Rain, something Rain, which should have been a good film, because it's based on... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, right. Japan, the Japanese detective. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, Rainfall or something. Rainfall. I think it might be Rainfall. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be the first of the series. Yeah, he basically played the David Strathan character from um, uh, the second yeah. order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so that was. Yeah, been... I, I I was offered this one as a screener, but I, I just didn't have time to sort of review it, you know. So I, I t- turned it down, unfortunately. But um, yeah, we'll have to sort. Of, I'll have to check out a trailer at the very least at some point. Now, the next one I should have mentioned earlier mm. when we were talking about Batman, because there's not just one Batman movie out, there's two. And this one is Lego Batman. Family Matters. Interesting. So, for a moment there, I thought that was Lego Deadpool on, on the top <laughs> of the, uh, the picture, but uh, no. I think it's supposed um, to be Red Hood, isn't it? Yeah, it is a Red Hood, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you've got Two-Face on there. Yeah, so um, another sort of, it's, uh, this is one of the, I think this might be the first one to follow that's coming out after the Lego Batman movie, or maybe there might have been one, uh, one or two others that I missed, but you know, this is a, this is a feature, this is like 76 minutes long, uh, it almost certainly won't be in the same vein as the Lego Batman movie, I think the um, sort of production values and, and that will, and will dictate that to a certain extent, but hopefully the writing and yeah, you know, is still good. The, I'm do, sure do that. I'm sure. The, the interesting thing on the British poster as well, I, I like, is that in the corner it's got ages seven to fourteen, eighty-four pieces, which, which I suppose is eighty-four minutes. But um, <laughs> I thought it was quite a nice little thing there. Yeah, a little nod to, to the to the uh, to the uh, Lego brand. Yes. So yeah. So sorry. Apologies. I should have mentioned that one earlier. So right now, getting to the latest Scott Adkins film. Yes. Or is it? Mm-hmm. No surrender. Yeah. In- interestingly, last week I met the um, the production designer for his new film. Um, Legacy of Lies? Legacy of Lies, yeah. He's been filming out in uh, Bulgaria, I believe, mm-hmm. or Ukraine, something like that. Yeah. And he's sort of describing a couple of scenes, which you know, sounds very good indeed. But, um, yeah, so, so this is a... Uh, Egyptian. Egyptian film, yeah. It's called Carmu's War. Yeah, Carmu's War. That's right. Um, interestingly, he does feature on the poster for the original Egyptian version, 
Yes. But of course, he takes center stage in the, in the English one. Um, I'll, I'll have to say that this is this the UK cover is not it's not a cover design that's been exclusive for the UK market. It's yeah. it's be, it's the, the same that poster is being that cover design is being used elsewhere, yeah. uh, and uh, I've even seen versions of it with the original Carmel's War title in it. So uh, this is not something a, 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 dece- a deception that I can accuse yeah. the distributor of. This is just what they're doing with the film all over the place is just trying to use Scott Atkins uh, to market the film, which is fair enough. But apparently he's only in it for about five minutes, or at least he only really does a big action scene uh, in it for about five minutes. Uh, this is okay. mostly the Egyptian cast members sort of leading the way and he's in support. Yeah, it looks, it does look very interesting. It's again, it's, you know, a bit of sort of colonialism. Uh, involved, you know, sort of British rule in, in Egypt and things like that, and things going wrong. Um, it's a period piece, um, sort of, I think pre World War Two, but um, it, it, I, I think it looks good. Uh, you know, the production values look great. You know, um, with or without Scott Atkins in it, I, th- yes. I think this, this, this would have been worth a watch. So absolutely, def- definitely looking forward to seeing it. I will definitely be watching it as well as sort of, I'm, I'm definitely going to be having a little delve into Egyptian action thrillers because I, I found, um, there's not only this, but I found a couple of others on oh. Netflix. There's one called Cell and another one called Detention Letter, both of which I'm very intrigued by. Oh. So I think I'm going to do a little triple bill, yeah. uh, at some point. Be worth doing, definitely. Yeah. Uh, next up, we talked about this, uh, two or three episodes yeah. ago. It's, uh, Tralala. It's, uh, the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> now, we're, we're old enough. I'm, well, I'm, I'm certainly old enough to remember the series. Um, I remember the reruns. Yeah, on TV. Well, I'm sure, I don't know if it were the reruns or not, but yeah, I always remember the cartoons that went with it. The three Musketeers, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves and no, Arabian Nights. Um, there was one. Somebody pointed this out to me recently. Um, there's one about a family that can shrink themselves into sort of microscop- microscopic size. Oh, right. And I was talking to him about it. He goes, how many, how many episodes do you th- of that do you think there are? And I'm like, I don't know. He goes, one. There was only one they did of the one about the family that shrinks themselves and they get into fight with, with ants or something. But yeah, the rest of it was just the Three Musketeers and uh, the Arabian Nights. But I digress, anyway. Yeah, four guys in weird, weird, weird costumes um, suddenly go all homicidal on the revival of their show. Um, yes, because this is a horror movie reworking of The Banana Splits. <laughs> why not? Yeah, because the original was just like crazy. It was basically just these four guys running around bumping into stuff or hitting yeah. each other. Um, it was around the time of the monkeys, wasn't it? It's like it's like it's like doing a new version of the monkeys yeah, where they go Aaron crazy. Martin's laughing and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, uh, which I recently rediscovered on Prime as well. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's because of that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because mm-hmm. uh, in the trailer, there's a scene where um, DiCaprio's character is cameoing on um, Rowan and Martin's laughing, mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, I remember watching that. I want to check out a few episodes, and yeah. It, it's weird. It does not hold up at all. But it's, it's an interesting digression. But yeah, so, um, definitely want to see uh, this, this Banana Spitz movie. I think we have to cover that, don't we? I think we do. Uh, next up is uh, the Captor uh, with yeah. Ethan Hawke, Numi Rapace and Mark Strong. A very good film. Um, the British poster 
gives you no idea what the, what you're actually letting yourself in for. Um, well, neither, neither neither poster do actually, but but I definitely think the the British poster does a good job of mis-selling what it is you're getting into. Um, but it says an absurd but true story. I yeah. believe it's actually quite comical. It is, yeah. I mean, the stuff that happens in it. You, you, if it wasn't for the fact that it was true, mm. you'd think, no, you're making this up. You know, people aren't that stupid, surely. But um, you know, given the time period and the people just hadn't really encountered this sort of situation, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes them do sort of kind of weird things. Um, but I really liked it. The production values are great. It's all in English, even though it's set in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, definitely worth a look. So, which is was the original title, Stockholm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's the situation that resulted in the term exactly. Stockholm so, Syndrome. Yeah, this is, this is where the term was first coined. You know, mm-hmm. The idea that there was this bank robbery going on. Um, sort of the bank robbers end up being besieged by the police inside the bank. And they take a couple of the bank tellers hostage. And sort of the way everything's portrayed on the media, um, the hostages kind of realise that they got more chance of survival by following what the, their captors them to do than by doing what the, uh, the police tell them to do outside. Now, the, the posters, the, the original, the, or one of the original posters, uh, and the UK one, Ethan Hawke looks completely different in both. Yeah. Oh, does he act? Does he? Sorry, uh, Skype was doing something weird there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the does the does he look like both those things, he or does. have they changed the no, way no, he they? Right. Okay. Because because at the start of the film, he's he's trying to make out he's an American. You know, he comes in wearing a big sort of, sort of jacket, leather jacket with like the Texas flag on the back and things like that. But um, and then he realised actually no he's, he's he's Swedish and he's just sort of put on this persona to try and fool the police. So moving on to our final three uh, mm. films that we're going to talk about, uh, some horror movies. Indeed. So the first one up, I believe, take, is a, like a uh, takes place in Wales, like a folk kind of horror. Yeah, it's so called it's a, The Cleansing. A period, a period set film. Uh, in which a young girl is uh, accused of being a witch. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing this. I've actually got this to watch at some point. Um, it could be quite bleak, I think. <laughs> so I'm sort of gearing myself up to watch it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. I'm always interested in sort of period set horror movies. I'm a big fan of, um, the, the, was it The Black Death that um, Christopher Smith did a few years back? Oh, yeah, the Sean Bean one. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, sticking uh, sort of a Welsh theme, uh, the the next film is not set in Wales, not shot in Wales. Well, it might have been shot in Wales actually, mm. uh, but the uh, the director is certainly Welsh. Uh, Andrew Jones, his latest film, The Manson Family Massacre, which started life uh, under the much less uh, what was it on the nose mm. title of the massacre on Cielo Drive. Uh, which is where the uh, the killing took place. The uh, the film cha- had another had another title change in between, I believe, but they've eventually settled on the Madison Family Massacre. I mean, that's the most commercial title you could probably come up with. <laughs> it's like it's, uh, it's you know not going to mistake anything. The the artwork has stayed the same, which is quite interesting. Uh, yeah. But the but the 
subtitle, uh, Norris, uh, the tagline, the it tagline. changed. It was, mm-hmm. Manson's girls are here to do the devil's business, was the original one. And, and again, being a bit on the nose, it is Very now, on once upon a time in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Based yeah. on a terrifying true story is the other one. But, yeah. uh, I haven't caught up with Andrew, uh, I haven't seen any Andrew Jones films for a while, but you know, we've, we've cov- we've talked about, uh, the trailers of that for quite a few. And, uh, you know, he's getting more funding. You know, he's, 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 he's certainly doing very well. I'm very interested to have a little bit of a catch up session on, you know, he, he produces too many that, that, that I've got time to watch, but I definitely want to have like a little, uh, uh, two or three film catch up on, see how his, you know, how the budgets and styles of his films yeah, are, yeah. are growing and increasing. We, we, we observed on, uh, when we were talking about like Robert, the last Robert film, you know, how interesting yeah, that, that was, that was looking and stuff. Yeah. So this is, I think I'm sure this is going to do very well. Uh, uh, I expect as, you know, it will probably turn up in the chart as most Andrew mm-hmm. Jones films do. Uh, lastly, we have Tooth Fairy, which is another British horror movie. Mm-hmm. This one is, uh, I believe, directed by Louisa Warren. I think she did a uh, scarecrow, one of the scarecrow films. Right. Recently, uh, so I don't really know much about this one, uh, and no. uh, the. If actually, I found it quite hard to find much info on it. I think it was also known as Tooth. Uh, was an alternate I, title. I can. Stabbing Isabel, yeah. Right. So, so the the British cover, it's invoking both it and Don't Look Now at the same time, yeah. <laughs> um, which, is, which is quite hard to pull off. But, um, yeah, it's very good. I actually had. I hadn't noticed that at all, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's a very now. Now that you say it, it's yeah. really obvious. It's got the balloons and everything. <laughs> That's it. In fact, it's even cleverer because because instead of having red balloons and a, and a yellow Mac, it's gone the other way around. So yeah, <laughs> it's quite quite clever. Whoever did that, Mister So and So. But you know, I always you know I, we, you know we've watched a couple of British horror movies and that lately, and we've been a bit critical of them, and you know that's. Uh, not something that we, you know, enjoy. Oh, yeah, exactly. We're very supportive of these films, and you know, I'm intrigued to see that. I haven't seen. I never saw that dark. Was it Darkness Falls that was the Tooth Fairy movie that was done in Hollywood? Can't remember. Uh, I remember that. I remember two or three. You know, mm. the Tooth Fairy thing has been done before, but um, I'm not really caught up. So, but I'll, you know, I'm very interested to watch pretty much any British horror movie. Uh, especially if it's got a creature or, or, you know, you know, creature effects or so, and, uh, horror villain kind of things going on. Uh, so yeah, the, out of these, out of the three, uh, the cleansing, uh, Mans- uh, the Manson film, the Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy is probably the one that I'm most curious about because it's kind of one of those films that could go either way. I think you're on pretty, I think you're on pretty solid ground with those other two, uh, in, just my instincts, you know, having come across these films kind of before. So if I had the chance, Tooth Fairy, I think is the one that I'd check out. Uh, And that pretty much, uh, I don't know if you've got any closing comments or any other films that you've seen that you want to mention, but that's me done. Yeah. um, Not at the moment. I've seen seen one which I don't want to talk about just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, um, one thing I do want to mention, actually, this is a total aside, is that I, I suddenly discovered um, on ITV they're running the um, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated series. Okay. Um, 
and I'm I'm really getting into it. It's <laughs> no seriously. It's um, it's it's taking like the the very first two Scooby Doo series way back in the seventies, and then forgetting everything else in between, and then sort of you know adding it now. Except now the sort of uh, live, everything's happened within uh, one small town. You know, all, all their sort of previous adventures all, all happened in their own hometown. And, and it's, it's really good. It's actually quite clever, very cleverly written. And uh, I'm just really getting into it. And um, it's got people like um, Bob Oderberg, Oderberg? Oderberg? Oderberg. Um, doing, doing the, one of the voices as well. So, so you know, the, the guy who, who does um, the guy in the wheelchair on Family Guy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So, so you know, it's very recognisable sort of voices to, uh, in the in the cast. So, yeah, Joe. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, if if you ever get the chance, if you got the ITV Hub or something like that, um, and you like sort of like you know cleverly written cartoons like the you know Animaniacs and things like that, um, it's it's I think it's definitely worth a look. Okay. <laughs> but that's just me. Okay. If we're gonna talk TV, then yeah. So let's have a little recap on Stranger Things three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, where do you stand? Without you know, we're not going to talk spoilers or anything. But where do you stand on that show and you know where it's? Oh, kind I, of I, 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 I love it. Um, but at the same time, I'm no, I, I, I like the way it's evolving. You know, when it, when it sort of brought in this sort of Russian element as well, um, I, I like some more background to that now you know but I, I love the way the sort of the kids are growing up you know and they're sort of facing new challenges you know not not necessarily supernatural ones um just sort of the way they deal with relationships and things like that i think it's it's great and all the obviously the film references and that that you get in there but now my major reservation because I, I did enjoy it but i had a major reservation through the whole series hmm. of the comedy of the yeah. They've, that they've made it so much a comedy. Uh, the you know the first series didn't really have any comedy in it at all. Second one had a bit, but this one they, they're full on influenced by the teen movies of of of, of the era era, and there, uh, there's lots of comedy in it. Like there's all the interplay between uh, Hopper and uh, Joyce mm-hmm. and stuff. There's loads of joking around, and you know lots of asides, and you know filler material you know so so i was i was actually really uh, i was glad every time it got really serious again like when you know the creature in the hospital and stuff like that was was going on which, uh, yeah the visual I, effects I, are really impressive now I, I just think it's um i just think it's part and parcel of them growing up you know it, it is funny but it's, it's like the whole thing with you know ellen her relationship um in, in the way that sort of develops, I, I just think it's really, really funny. And, and the, you know, the, and basically the kids going, "Girls, huh? Who needs them?" You know, in <laughs> the fact that you know one of them isn't quite as matured as the rest of them, and mm-hmm. you know, is struggling to sort of see the the attraction, as it were. Yeah. Um, no, I loved all that sort of stuff. You know, and the fact that Steve has become sort of like this in- invincible guy who can withstand torture and stuff. Just, you know, oh, there's, just, a, there's a lot of, I mean, it is really silly. Um, yeah. And it's kind of, it's very much throwing back to all those kind of 80s movies and that. And even they looked, they even pointed out in one of the videos that I was watching that one of the scenes is a diehard scene that they just re- remade with 
um, the same lines and basically everything, but with uh, Hopper instead of uh, yeah. instead of Bruce Willis. The but they've said he's uh, you know it's, um, I think that's kind of the yeah I think the tonal shifts mm-hmm. um, are what. Um, I had reservations, but I completely understand that you know it wants to have its own identity. So I get, I get that. It's just uh, the big budget. I liked all the big budget look and everything to it. It's just the yeah, the the constant sort of deviations into comedy was like really frustrating for me. It was was a shame. Yeah, at least there wasn't a whole episode set in Chicago. Yeah, which was great. Which I was watching the, I was watching these videos about it, and there's like the the directors, whatever, don't ever, don't seem to have any reservations that that was a bad idea, but. uh, But, uh, but I'm sure that's all going to come back anyway. But yeah. sorry for the digression, folks. I just yeah. wanted to get that off, uh, off our chests. Uh, the, Indeed. Uh, it all, normal DTV discussions will resume, will resume with soon. the next episode. <laughs> yes, so the next episode is probably going to appear on in um, September by the time I'm back from holiday and we've recorded and everything. Um, but in the meantime, you should have two back-to-back episodes, this one and uh, 87. And... Um, Apologies for the sound quality of that particular episode. But anyway, thank you for listening and join us again soon. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.